You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, it's another Bond actor episode. We delve into the life and career of Pierce Brosnan and take a deeper look at the disaster film genre. It's 1997's Dante's Peak. James Bond. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Bondzilla podcast. I am Nick. I am Will. I am Groot. Groot. Can you imagine just a group podcast? Yeah. It's got to be a group podcast, right? Where it's right. just like. And the only listeners are Groot and Rocket. Yeah. Because they're the only ones. Oh, the, uh, Drax listens to it for like support, but like. Oh, oh, I, I see what you mean. You're doing kind of like a in-universe thing, yeah. Uh, because I'm thinking like, I'm th- I'm thinking like the people who are recording it are like they're pretending that it's like Groot, right. or you know what it could be? It could be like a, uh, a uh, like learn Groot podcast. Mm-hmm. So like every episode is like, this is, th- this is this is how you say this. I am Groot. <laughs> Oh, so it's like a language podcast. Yeah, it's like it's teaching you. It's like Rosetta Stone, but, but yeah. Or what was the one as a kid? Muffy? Yeah. Yeah, like that yeah, one. I remember Muffy. Mm. Anyway, welcome everybody. Yeah. Um, Kong, Godzilla versus Kong got a rating. Yeah. We need to do a compilation show of all the times that I almost call it Kong versus Godzilla. It happens. I, I've definitely. I I do it both ways. Oh, I it, I think every single time I talk about this movie, you will constantly hear me saying Kong ver- Godzilla versus Kong. Like you will hear that exact yeah like thing. No, it's it's definitely like I think on this podcast I've definitely just said Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, there's definitely been um, uh, it just. Kong vs. Godzilla just does sound a little more natural, though. It's like the 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 ending on a vowel. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I think it's because... I think it's the ending on a vowel. It's the ending on a vowel. It's that Godzilla's longer. Yeah. So I feel like you always kind of like put the longer one right, second. Like you don't say Superman versus Batman. Yeah. You say... Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Because... No, V Superman. V Superman. Right, of course. Um, And then Dawn of Justice. <laughs> yes. What were we talking about? Oh, um, Kong versus God. God, I did it again. <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong has a rating. Yes, and it is hardcore R <laughs> for monster on monster sexuality it's for some Kong dong. Everybody. Yeah. Um. No, it's PG thirteen. PG thirteen. Of, yeah. of course it is. But what's always funny about the P the the rating is that sometimes they'll say the rating and then it's like for something funny. Like speaking of Batman v Superman. Like the funny thing about that was, it was like it's rated PG thirteen for some sensuality, and everybody's like, "What does that mean? What what is there's some only, sensuality?" There's, only, there's mean? not a lot of it. There's only uh, a little bit of it. What's weird is like because the closest thing is like, like y- you see like Bruce Wayne showering at one point. Mm-hmm. So obviously somebody at the ratings board was like, "Ooh, 
Affleck's booty is is too is too sensual for me. <laughs> so like they so so for some reason. All right, I, I do have it here. I mean, nothing really interesting, but Godzilla vs. Kong is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of creature violence Ooh. and uh, destruction, or, uh, violence slash destruction, and brief language. Oh, like like there's not going to be a lot of language in it? Like, it's just some, just brief language. Like, everybody talks, but very succinctly. And very much like not not much to say. Yeah, is, is what they is what they do. That's totally what some language means. Yeah, no, not some language, brief language. Oh, brief language. Yeah, that is everybody just talks very succinctly. But yeah, <laughs> all the profanities are just said very yeah quick. Like they get them out of the way. It's very brief. Like that's why it's brief language because well, I guess that is what brief language is. Like it's in there, but. Like blink and you'll miss it. Yeah. Like, like you won't even like. Yeah, if someone's talking in your ear, you will not know that there's there's language. Kyle Chandler's coming in and he's getting the one f bomb in, in the in in the whole thing. Yeah. Or Kong does. Can you imagine Kong gets it? <laughs> like Kong, like he's 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 they're on that tanker or whatever, and then he's like or that battleship. Yeah. Whatnot, and then they're like he's like Kong you. <laughs> And then we're just like, what? They bring back the something funny is going on. <laughs> except, <laughs> except it's with swearing. Of all, of all the things, of all the things they bring in, like that would be the funniest. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. So cool. That's um. Kong versus Godzilla news. Yeah. Um. So yeah, what do we have today? We have. We're back to. Bond. News. Yeah. Or bo- not Bond news. Bond movie. Bond movie. Yeah, there's still very little Bond news at this point. Just basically just waiting for the next No Time to Die yeah. uh, marketing push to, to ramp up. Yeah. Um, you know, for the fall. But we do have a Bond episode today. And we are going back to our discussions on the, the Bond actors. Kind of this series of episodes where we dive a little deeper into... Uh, one of the Bond actors, check out another film that they have done and discuss them as an actor and part of their part of the, the Bond legacy and their general legacy in the world of acting. Right. And um, who do we have? On we have day? one. So far, we've done... Um, who have we done? We've, we've done, done Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Uh, do we... Do- we haven't done Roger Moore. We have not done Roger Moore. Uh, we've done uh, Daniel Craig. Daniel obviously. Craig, and we've done Timothy Dalton. We've done uh, adults. The Roger Moore one, I do have an idea for it. I just need this. It's one of those things like I need to see the availability of of the film, of the show, and asking how I'm going to do that. Mm. Because most likely, the, the, I'll just say it. Like it's not going to be for a couple months, um, just planning wise. But the Roger Moore one, I'm going to try to do his TV series, The Saint, mm-hmm. that what he did before Bond, um, because that's his, like, second most notable thing. Um, and also, you know, otherwise we're doing, like, Cannonball Run 2 or something like that. You know, there's not... He doesn't... Or Spice World. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'll talk about it a little bit today, actually, but more, you know, doesn't have... as he, Like, Bond is really his film career. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be it. And then we're, we're not going to do a Lazenby, at least of, as of now. Maybe if the films get maybe if we have to extend this podcast again because like they get you know congress godzilla and stuff gets delayed in the next or year. or we keep it meta never mention lazenby again yeah. and then it'll be kind of like yeah. 
his career as yeah. Bond. But is. like, it's like yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. But um, you'd have to do like you know his version of Universal Soldier, which yeah. I don't really want to do. <laughs> um, uh, all but, right. So anyway, so we're 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 here to talk about the the bras. We talked we, we talked about the Dalts. Yeah. We talked about the the Con. Yeah. We talked Con. Jesus. We talked about the Craig. Yeah. And now we're we're talking about the the bras. The bras. The bras man. Yeah. The bra. The the bra man. <laughs> Oh, the brazier. That, that's <laughs> that's going to come back in the play, <laughs> this episode. I okay. promise you. Uh, Pierce Brosnan. Yes. Um, and, and this is an interesting actor because, unlike I think the rest of, because Connery was that that interesting thing where, yes, I knew him as Bond, but you kind of also knew him as like Sean Connery at that point. At least I did. Yeah. I kind of knew him like you know thick accent. Sean Connery was in, in like a bunch of stuff like and. So I, you kind of just recognized him more as like, like, just old veteran actor yeah. and, and, and what. And because it's like, also for for Connery, you know, you had you had seen a lot of his other notable '80s work, you know, Last Crusade and Highlander, and you know, all that stuff, and mm-hmm. even like later in the 2000s with like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, like you just knew and The Rock. Uh, right, right. Like you, you, he had like a big legacy after Bond two. Um, and I think what's interesting is like, cause I was, cause with, that's with Brosnan with Dalton, I think like Dalton one, he's not bond long enough to make that impression of like, he's bond, even though he's like my favorite and that's mm-hmm. just the truth of it. And also like Dalton is someone who has had set a fun, especially for the way we view film and, and this is like being in the industry kind of, he's just had a fun career of just popping in the fun projects. Right. So I think that's kind of it with them. And then Craig Craig's interesting too because when you really look at Craig, like yes, he's been Bond for so long. I also think when we did that episode, like we were watching like a very new movie of his, like Knives Out, which could be another new potential franchise. But then he's also had like you know pre-Bond, he was like you know Road to Perdition and Munich, like he had kind of a career too. I think what's interesting because Brosnan and Moore, I think, are the two that are really like so defined by like them being Bond, and and Craig still, it's kind of to be seen like what he does after bond to see like what that is right but i think that like more and brosnan i think are very much very defined by them being bond and even with more i kind of what i find interesting as i just mentioned is that even though it's you know in the uk he does still have that legacy of being the saint the original version of the saint which is another long-standing character um not as much in america but that's still kind of a part of his legacy and i guess also with him you know, a lot of a lot of his stuff too comes with the philanthropy he did in his life. Whereas, like, I feel Brosnan has like that distinctive period of his t- time in Bond, like of 1995 to 2002, right? And that's like, as I call, peak Brosnan era. Um, because, like, before that, yes, he had Remington Steel, which was not very much. Um, you know, it was like kind of it's kind of a cult, old school TV classic, but. Infam- infamously like wasn't that huge enough success where the only reason they renewed it that last time was because he was about to be bond um and post bond you know it's like what's his largest like appearance was you know a supporting role in mamma mia right and it's like i think like recently he's kind of had a little bit of a renaissance like you kind of see him popping in things a little bit more but it really did feel like post die another day that he's just kind of disappeared mm. for a little bit um and he, I, you should definitely find films that he did but he just didn't have that like lasting impact and i just think 
you know, it's just his time as Bond and the films he did within that era, I think, very much define the Pierce Brosnan, you know, career and persona. Well, for me, uh, the the thing I was going to say was that whereas, like, Connery was, like, somebody I knew as, like, an actor and then, like, kind of thinking of the... I didn't really know Dalton all that well, like, from anything. And I think, actually, the first thing that I remember seeing him in was... uh, Hot Fuzz. Mm-hmm. I think that was my first, the, the first thing I saw him in, or if I remember correctly. Uh, and then Craig obviously was like Bond, but like knew that he was like in other things yeah. too. So he's a, that's kind of more of the modern thing. Brosnan was the only one where it's like, oh, that's like James Bond yeah. for me. Like it's like that. That was like the only one. Like m- much in a very similar way where even though you know other actors have played him, but if you had to like really think of like an actor who was like that's Batman, like you know how you think of like Adam West is Batman mm-hmm. in, in in a way that like all the other it, it's kind of weird like when you think about Adam West as like being Batman, but like all the other actors are like actors that have played Batman. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right? No, I I get what you mean. Where so, it's like because because West is like yes he's done other things, but like he's his singular thing is like you know Batman. It's right. just like what right. he is. And it, you kind of just mesh the two roles, the role and the person together. Where it's like, if you look at the other Batmans, like, you know, Keaton's done, a, like, you know, you can you can imagine Keaton as, like, Beetlejuice. So mm-hmm. you can, like, see, like, you know, uh, Christian Bale in, you know, whatever other Sure, movie. sure. It, it, like, it, like, it, it just, it, it's just, really just whatever your reference point is. And right. growing up, that was Brosnan as Bond for right. me. Especially because Brosnan, for us, uh, for our age, was definitely the Bond of our, like, formative years. Because by the time, like, Craig comes in, that's, like, you know, that's, like, right, we're starting high school. And you just feel like then you kind of get a little bit more into, you know, the process of film or, like, knowing there's a new Bond and stuff like that. Like, from our childhood, from, like, you know, the first time that we may have seen Bond in some capacity, uh, it was going to be Brosnan in, in some ways. Because, you know, whether it was, you had the GoldenEye video game or you had any of the movies or any merchandise type of things you saw. Like, anything that you would have seen, like, like new Bond from you know, our years of, like, 95 to 2002 was going to be Brosnan based. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so that was kind of just my uh, my knowledge of Brosnan growing up, mm-hmm. and and it was funny because then after you're right, his post Bond days is when you start seeing him getting like sprinkled and like different things, or at least like you're more open to seeing like his other catalog of films, yeah, like which is kind of funny, you know, kind of as we talk about today's movie, um, is kind of that. You know, other movies, you know, he was doing some other movies during that time as well. Because that's also the interesting thing about, like, Brosnan and Into Craig. Because, like, you know, um, Connery, Moore, and and Dalton during their time on Bond, you know. Again, Dalton's kind of weird because he just does the two. But it wasn't as if they were doing a lot of other movies. Like, they definitely did. You know, they weren't, like, opposed to doing it. But basically, like, you know, like, Connery was doing a Bond movie a year for like a very long time. So it wasn't like he had time to like do other movies and more. And again, we'll, we'll talk about more and more in the future, mm-hmm. but, but more bonds, Moore's time as bond was pretty much like kind of into the end of his career. Like he had had this long, you know, cause he was the oldest bond. And that means that he had a long standing career on British television, you know, starting off in British comedy into the saint. So by the time he's doing bond, 
it's not like he's getting a bunch of other film offers. It's like he's kind of just doing Bond and then he'll make an odd cameo role or an odd film here and there. Whereas like Brosnan is really part of this new era where like he can do other movies in between Bond films mm. um, in a way that like the previous Bonds before him really weren't able to do. Um, and that's why like the, and there's a reason I chose to do the movie we're doing today, which is Dante's Peak is because I wanted to really take a look at that peak Brosnan era. Mm-hmm. And it really was... Pun between, intended. Pe- yes, of course. <laughs> uh, and it was going to be between this film and the Thomas Crown Affair, but I felt the Thomas Thomas Crown Affair was a little bit too kind of in the same wheelhouse as Bond. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like... Mm-hmm. S- definitely like smooth and, and kind of action-y, like in, in, a, in that sort of way. Well, and then what's also good about, you know, a movie like Dante's Peak is that I think that that has kind of been the benefit of looking at some of these other things that these actors have been in in different points in their career or very similar points of their career, but it like kind of shows them doing something not yeah. Bond. So like we do Darby O'Gill with uh, Connery, Connery and Knives Out with, with Craig and Flash, Flash Gordon with, with Dalton. And and it's funny because in even on the surface level, it's funny to think about those movies um, like, you know, I was explaining to my girlfriend that we were doing Dante's Peak for this podcast, and it was like, well, what does it have to do with Bond? And obviously, other than Brosnan being in it, it actually is funny that, at least I find, that it does offer a lot more insight into the actor, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then you kind of, like, get to see... Them in a different context. Yeah, because it's like, like the Bond role is so iconic, so when you just see them as an actor not doing Bond... Like, um, you can just find some interesting parallels or crossovers or anything else. Yeah, exactly. um, And then also, um, even though, like, I I believe, other than any tangential um, connections in the kaiju world, this is, is this our first disaster? Have we done, like, a disaster So, I was going to actually talk about that because this is our first true, like, disaster film. Right. Um, But it is very interesting because... The disaster genre is very much kind of a, a kind of a cousin of the giant monster slash kaiju film. They share a they do share some similar elements and, and similar kind of ideas, mm-hmm. um, especially because you know the especially with that first Godzilla film on uh, fifty four. Um, just because one of the other things I wanted to do is talk a little bit about the history of the disaster genre film because. You had this like early disaster movies, you know, like the early twenties and thirties ones. Like disaster genre has been such a big part of the film industry because it's easy to showcase destruction on film, right? Like something on fire. So you had like, you know, those early thirties where you had like, you know, uh, you know, a movie about the the you know Great Chicago Fire. You mm-hmm. had San Francisco, famously has the big earthquake sequence at the end. But when you get to the fifties. That, with the atomic age and, and that sort of thing, the post-war, it kind of transitions into a more sci-fi status. Right. Where the the, the disaster movie kind of... trans the, the tropes of these disaster, the early disaster films kind of transition into kind of those early sci-fi movies of the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and definitely Godzilla is kind of a part of that canon, as is like the early War of the Worlds, which kind of features a sort of maybe not the general disaster film kind of moniker on its own because they kind of add the sci-fi and alien and kaiju aspect to it, but it definitely shares a lot of visual aesthetics and a lot of effect stuff that those early um, 
disaster films had. And you can definitely see, like, Godzilla, removing Godzilla and just making it, like, a tsunami or tornado or something. You could basically have, you know, a similar aesthetic. Not a similar movie, but you can definitely see the destruction being kind of a similar similar mm-hmm. thing. In the right, end of, right, right. And, like, the... You know, you could have that same kind of prayer scene that you have in 54 in, like, a disaster movie. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, that makes sense. So, um, kind of going into it, so where we're talking about Brosnan first, because I yeah. think talking about the disaster movie will probably either lead or blend into the actual movie itself. So, yeah. Brosnan. Yes. L- let's do it. All right. So, Pierce Brosnan, Irishman, uh, born on May 16th, nineteen. 19- 53. Uh, he was born to, of course, an Irish father, Thomas Brosnan, who was a carpenter, and his mother, May uh, Brosnan. Uh, so Brosnan had, uh, basically, a lot of Brosnan's childhood was defined by his father leaving the family very early into his life. Um, uh, basically, it was just one of those situations where one day, just dad was gone. And just, you know, they had separated and, and dad just moved out, headed out. And, you know, they didn't really know where he went or mm. what he was doing other than there was kind of an agreement of separation. But it was still like kind of a shock to everybody that he just up and left. Um, so that kind of left uh, the Brosnan clan uh, uh, a little bit kind of uh, shaken up just because now the main provider of the family uh, was just up and gone. And especially in the 1950s, as Brosnan talks about it, a very Irish Catholic community, you know, a, a, a wife whose husband left her and just left her alone. It's just very not traditionally Catholic, does not look good right, to yeah. the Catholic eye, right, right, right. Uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, so the situation... Uh, presented itself to May Brosnan, who kept the name uh, for the time being. And she decided her best course of action was to move to London to become a nurse, um, to try to just make some money for the family. Unfortunately, she, at the time, could not necessarily afford to be a single mother working and bring Pierce with her. So she left Pierce Brosnan in Island with her grandparents, or with his grandparents, I should say, mm. um, <laughs> with his grandparents while she moved off to London. Um, so Brosnan basically kind of lived with his grandparents for a little while, and then both grandparents passed on. So he kind of jumped from relative to relative and eventually ended up in a boarding house. Mm. Um, and essentially, Brosnan was just kind of waiting for the day that he could be reunited with mom that mom would come visit Ireland about basically just once once or twice a year when she could um but he just kind of kept to the boarding house until he was about 10 years old um at 10 years old uh mom moved to uh, Scotland for a little bit and it took taken on another uh boyfriend um and so Pierce was able to bring uh him uh uh bring himself to Scotland mm-hmm uh, and the main reason was is that, you know, with her job as a nurse, with this boyfriend, the boyfriend wanted to marry uh, May, but wanted Pierce's permission to do so. Mm. And Pierce basically, they met, and Pierce immediately took to him. Uh, Pierce said that he was a great stepfather and immediately took to him as his own son. 
So much so that after this agreement that, um, you know, that he could marry uh, his mom, uh, this fine young uh, this fine young man courting Pierce Brosnan's mom took him to see Goldfinger. Uh, and Pierce said that it wasn't at that point that he decided to be an actor, um, but it was kind of a thing that got him interested in movies mm. and interested in kind of the idea. Um, but he was still someone who didn't really know what he wanted to do for a very long time. But it's just kind of like he always had like kind of he liked going to movies and Goldfinger was the real start of that. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so soon after that, they uh, they got married uh, and moved back to London. And Pierce uh, noted that this was also a tough time for his life because he was the only Irish kid in an English British school. And that led to him kind of being bullied a lot. Uh, he was noted. Uh, he noted that he was just called Irish a lot of the time by the other kids. Um, but, it, he, you know, he kind of had now had a good family relationship. He was back reunited with his family and just kind of got through, you know, the British school system and eventually kind of was trying to figure out what he wanted to do years later. Uh, so his first instinct uh, in terms of a new career uh, or future career was as an illustrator painter of some sort. Um, so right out of kind of early on, like 16, 17, he started taking art classes and, um, you know, becoming an illustrator. Again, one of those things where he just didn't really know, did he want to do like, like comic book type illustrations, Mm -hmm. like kind of more story based or like become a painter or it was just still like kind of an interesting thing. He had an artistic flair, but he just didn't really know what to do with it. Uh, then one day, he's attending a workshop at the Oval Theater in uh, Britain, and it's a kind of a general workshop where it's like we can kind of learn how to do set design and, you know, kind of sets for staging and acting and, you know, writing. It's kind of like one of those things where general workshop things were going on. And Pierce tells the story that at this workshop, he noticed there was a fire eater uh, doing a presentation. <laughs> um and he was kind of looking at this and thought this this guy seems interesting and then he noticed uh, this is all pierce's words by the way he noticed that all the women watching had taken off their tops <laughs> and there was like nobody was wearing any bras it was just all boobs to the wind those are not his words those are mine and pierce said oh they seem to like this so why don't i give it a try <laughs> Uh, so Pierce, you know, kind of moves on from the kind of illustration side and goes up to the fire eater and takes the workshop, essentially learns to be a fire eater. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says that's still on his resume that he still can perform it. Um, and while originally it was kind of like, he was like, yeah, just to kind of impress the girls. And, you know, I was a young lad, like, you know, what, a, what else was I going to do? It kind of really showcased to him that he did have kind of a love for performance. Um, and even, he even considered like going more hardcore into kind of street performance in that aspect. But then he thought that, well, any type of performance I do, I would need some sort of training to do it. Cause mm. I've never done it. Like, you know, cause we talked about where like Dalton did it very young. Um, and even Craig kind of gotten acting very young. They kind of, that had always been their goal. Whereas like, 
Brosnan was more on that Connery side where he just kind of fell into, hey, this could be something fun, right. and, and finding uh, that passion for it. And so he decided to kind of quit on the illustration side of things and uh, attend a drama arts school, the Drama Center in London. Uh, so he graduates uh, from the Drama Center in 1975. Now we're in that 75. Um, and his first job was just a assistant stage manager at one of uh, uh, the York Theatre Royale. Uh, and he was very quick into kind of learning the ropes of just general theater, general stage, kind of taking notes from the other performers uh, until he got a starring role in a stage performance of Wait Until Dark, uh, which is becomes an Audrey Hepburn movie mm-hmm. with about the blind woman. Right. Uh, uh, it's a good movie. <laughs> want to check it out. Uh, but his big kind of break comes six months after that when famed playwright Tennessee Williams... Uh, chooses him personally to be the lead in the British premiere of his play, The Red Devil Battery Sign. Uh, so this was kind of Tennessee Williams, obviously major, major, major playwriting name. So having kind of his stamp of approval as an actor was already like, you know, it's this guy who's like streetcar named Desire. Like he was like one of the names in theater. So having that stamp of like, I chose you personally to be the lead in this British production just got him a lot of attention. Mm, mm-hmm. And it would it helped, too, that it was generally regarded as a great performance. Uh, Tennessee Williams even said in an interview that, like, they had it made because of, because of Brosnan. And so from there, that's just kind of jump-starts him into the, uh, the world of acting. Um, he kind of does a lot of that, you know, TV stuff in Britain, kind of the same jump that, like, Craig would do, where it's like, start on the stage go to TV, and, and Dalton too. It kind of seems like it's a very similar road. Mm-hmm. You start on stage, you do kind of the BBC productions, and then you finally get into, um, uh, you know, he uh, would eventually get into um, Remington Steel out of right, all that. of course. Uh, so he moves with uh, to uh, Southern California, uh, to Los Angeles, um, in the early 80s with his wife then wife cassandra harris um who uh had just done uh the bond film uh uh for your eyes only Mm -hmm. uh, as the the heiress so basically they kind of pooled their money together decided to move out to the u.s uh and eventually he gets the remington steel deal um, do you know Do you know what Remington Steel is, by the way? No, okay. no. It, it's honestly funny because I, I, the most I know about it is it's like the big like pre-Bond um, Pierce Brosnan thing. Yeah. But I, I literally have no context for what it is. So uh, Remington Steel was a series, and I erroneously said on our Living Daylights podcast that it was CBS. It's actually NBC. Mm. Um, that was just uh, misspeaking on my part there. Uh, but it was an NBC series, and it was about a female private eye who would not get any jobs because she was a woman. And one day, a con man, Pierce Brosnan, comes into her life, and she makes an agreement, essentially, that he'll be the face of her private investigation agency, mm. that he'll be Rebbington Steele, so that she can solve all the, the crimes. Uh, and so it's kind of this early, like, kind of, 
feminist, like, but still, like, budding romance thing where it's, like, the unlikely duo come together, solve all the crimes, solve all the, the private investigative things, and you kind of, like, want to root for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those series that, over the years, has kind of gotten, like, you should relook at this. At the time, NBC was definitely trying to push it because they thought they had somebody in Pierce, and, you know, they thought they had a great concept with the series, uh, but it just really never clicked. It never was like a ratings bomb, but it never really... Mm-hmm. I mean, the most success it had was when the rumors of Pierce Brosnan becoming Bond... Right, like, right. Like got a big most, uptick. Got a, that, that's the most attention it got. And again, he, you know, they tried to do like, well, we'll do both. He'll be on Remington Steel and we'll let him out to do Bond. And then they're like, no. So then all the interest was kind of dead and mm. it was kind of dead in the water. But it is kind of a series that people look back on. And obviously it's like, it's Pierce Brosnan... What kind of, kind of the kind of performance you've come to expect kind of really fun um and the chemistry between two leads is really fun so it's one of those series it kind of has that cult following of just like hey if you're like you're looking for an old like tv series to like binge or something if you can find it like definitely check it out mm. but this is where also that the kind of another more tragedy comes into his life oh, because no. um during this time period, like, yeah, obviously, post Remy Steel, he's gotten some money out of the, you know, contract, so it's not like he's struggling as an actor anymore. Like, he kind of had those years, and it kind of, the bond money, plus kind of the getting this Remington Steel deal real early definitely helped uh, with that in terms of his wife, but uh, Cassandra Harris, unfortunately, uh, developed ovarian cancer during, uh. their, during that time, and this was just, it was a kind of a big one-two punch of just, like, losing the big TV series, you know, and then, like, she's, like, gets sick on, like, a, a shoot in India, so she doesn't really know what's going on. She comes back, it's the the word, and, you know, they fight the cancer. Not they fight, but they, they fight the, the cancer, chemotherapy, everything like that, but unfortunately she, like, succumbs to the disease mm. in basically uh, late ni- 1990, uh, early 1991, and this is kind of Brosnan's brief retirement from acting in terms of, like, he would definitely take a role here and there, but he wasn't actively seeking work at this point. And there was kind of a question of himself of just, like... And, you know, it's also coming off the big Bond loss of a role, too. Like, it's like kind of that was also a big part of it. It was like he had just had this TV series canceled. He lost a major potential to be a starring a star actor in this, you know, one of the biggest series on the planet. And he has just lost his wife. And it was a very kind of dark period for him in just terms of like, you know, was he going to move back to Ireland permanently? Was he going to continue acting? Eventually, it was kind of his wife's, you know, not dying words, but kind of like she pushed him to be like, you can still be Bond. Like, you, you can still find your Bond role. You know, go ahead and do it. So eventually he decides he's going to continue on this, this acting thing. Mm-hmm. And that's eventually what leads him back to the bond the bond role um so it's just one of those things that's interesting because brosnan definitely has had 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 like had a time of it Mm -hmm. uh in in his younger days um and it just seems like because he's also seems like he's like a great guy like it just so much of like he's a very much like does a lot of environmental work and a lot of charity work much like more he's kind of used that bond you know, clout that he has mm-hmm. to kind of put himself in those positions to, to help people. Um, and he would eventually remarry and he like, he adopted all of Cassandra's kids uh, into his life. Cause he remembered like 
how bad it was when they, you know his dad just left him. And right, he did right. like it was one of those things too where he notes that like there was a big deal where it's like there was a Remington Steel episode that was filmed in Ireland. And it was like a big deal, like the homecoming of this, of our like Irish actor, you know? And it's like, even though like it wasn't the biggest series, it was like still like this guy was like making it in America. So it was like, welcome home to the point where like during that kind of big welcoming home thing, he was, you know, reunited with his father. Um, and it was one of those things where it's just kind of like, it was nice to see him, but like, I didn't, you know, he left really early on. I didn't really know him, but it was mm. still kind of nice to kind of have that conversation. I just wish it wasn't like such a public event you know that we could have just gotten a pint somewhere and, right <laughs> figured it out um but it just like seems like you know all through all that hardship he just kind of took it in there and just continued the fight and and you you know he's gotten that success and i think he's tried to give that success back cool cool so how does that lead him into the peak that is dante all right, so um, one thing to one thing to know. So we talked about a little bit of the early history of the disaster film genre, uh, but it would be remiss to not talk about the talk about disaster films without mentioning the actual peak of the disaster film genre, the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So you kind of had like yeah, you had kind of these 50s and you know the 60s are kind of the general genre of it kind of. You know, you still had elements of it in types of movies, but the disaster genre really wasn't, you know, as prevalent. Like, again, the 60s was that spy genre era. But the 70s kind of transitioned. You had that kind of triple threat right at the beginning of the decade where you had the Towering Inferno, the Poseidon Adventure, and Earthquake. Right. Uh, and so the disaster. Disaster. The disaster. The disaster the film. The d- disaster film is pretty much defined. Um, th- the 70s kind of really shifts that disaster film um definition into either a big natural disaster or a big man-made structure disaster mm. usually it's one of those two you can kind of there's also kind of this other subgenre of it of like the nuclear disaster um which plays a little more into kind of the later 70s early 80s version of the disaster genre um but basically you have kind of usually it's like you know Poseidon adventure you have this big sinking ship and you have you know or the town inferno the big class you biggest building in the world or earthquake which is a huge earthquake just decimates everybody and usually it's like a big kind of ensemble cast usually people die along the way as they try to escape try to get out that sort of thing very melodramatic Mm -hmm. very that's kind of like the, the definition of the genre itself so and that was like one of the things like that was up until like Star Wars kind of takes over in in the later 70s for the first majority of the 70s like that was the big blockbuster film that was like the the biggest money makers on the planet uh like infamously the towering inferno was a co-production between uh Warner Brothers and Fox because they had two very similar scripts and the producer was like if we have both of these movies come out they'll cannibalize us Let's merge them into one script. And then what ended up happening was like they pretty much – it was like Warner Brothers got the U.S. Um, money and Fox got the international money. And they pretty much split even and both mm-hmm. made a profit because right. like it was so big worldwide. Um, so it very much defined like – and you also, of course, like the, it would be remiss without mentioning that the real start of the disaster genre in that period was the airport movies airport airport mm. 73 mm. airport 75 all those kind of films uh which also leads to its kind of demise because it had that big run of films 
in the 70s. And then kind of we have the Star Wars stuff and the sci-fi coming back at the end of the decade combined with kind of things getting so ridiculous in those movies, so melodramatic that eventually Airplane comes out and essentially just decimates an already dying genre. Mm. That Airplane kind of, you know, makes direct fun of those airplane or airport movies and and just the tropes and everything and the genre is already on its last legs and then kind of literally like airplane kind of just push it off to the side and it's funny because that like airplane in a way has become one of the definitive types of movies like that because with the the disaster genre we always really apply it to and i think this movie kind of starts to um lay the path for that is that um, you know we usually attribute it to natural disasters. Mm-hmm. So you know the fact that you know they're you know like airport or a plane or whatever is just kind of like not not as much. And then then airplane comes along, and then airplane in some ways, despite being a spoof, becomes one of the definitive like yeah. movies like that. Yeah, it becomes a definitive example of a disaster film because it has all the tropes, right? Like all the tropes of all like. Because, again, it's more like it, infamously too, Airplane is actually technically a remake of an early um, airplane disaster movie called Zero Hour where they literally bought the script because they just wanted to kind of use some of the lines from the movie. But it very much is kind of going off all the things that we saw in Towering Inferno and Earthquake and and Poseidon Adventure, Mm -hmm. like the big cast and, and the unlikely leader and, you know, the kind of epic romance and... Airplane doesn't have as many people dying as those other ones did, um, or yeah, uh, but still, there's kind of that element of it is definitely there, and a big stakes like we got to get out before you know everybody dies on the plane mm-hmm. or the ship sinks further or like you know the the building collapses. Like there's always that element too, that there's kind of a ticking time bomb. Like we have to get everybody out now before we all die. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, there's kind of a smattering of, uh, into the 80s, a smattering of it, uh, but not as many disaster films. Again, kind of action films overtake it. But we're getting to the mid-90s now, and the increase in technology that's stemming off of stuff like Jurassic Park Mm. is really starting to pique the interest of the genre, uh, of the studios of, like, maybe we can, you know, make these disaster movies again. Because you can kind of see the effects and bigger... And the real tipping point in terms of the disaster genre is back is the combination of the release of Twister in 1996. Exactly, yeah. And what really sets the studio salivating is the Independence Day Super Bowl commercial. Because the Super Bowl commercial features that big destruction, you know, features the big destruction of the White House from the movie. And that's kind of a thing where people were like, oh, wow, we can really do a lot of destruction in these types of movies. Yeah. And that's like a thing that I think people I mean, kind of like the um, like Twister, obviously. But that's a thing about Independence Day that I think is often forgotten about, like like things like Independence Day and that type of spectacle is so commonplace now Mm -hmm. that. I remember there's so many stories from the people who worked on Independence Day or outside the production who talk about like that Super Bowl spot was like a big deal. Like that yeah. you know, that was like a what? And it was like it was also like cuz it has that effect too of like it really like there were definitely Super Bowl commercials before that, but then that became the definitive like 
going big for the Super Bowl commercial. Right, right. And, and then the the other thing I think too that will become a staple uh, in a lot of disaster movies is was the because the big money shot is like the the White House blowing up. Yeah. So there, I I believe there was something that was like there's a level of like grounding it in the real world. It's like massive visual effect extravaganza explosion and destruction applied to what we know in the real world. So yeah. I'm sure that has an element to it as well. So what's interesting about Dante's peak, uh, in terms of being that, is that. That stuff kind of all happens in early 1996 or like kind of the knowledge of like that Super Bowl commercial obviously airs pretty early on. People know about Twister and, and, and that Independence Day definitely has that attention now. Uh, but Dante's Peak is actually a script that was kind of written in that same area as Twister, like kind of early on within kind of this rebirth, technically speaking. Um and the Dante's Peak script was very much a directly inspired by the 80s eruption of Mount St. Helens in Washington mm-hmm. State. Uh, very much a all the kind of similar scientific stuff. And, and there was a very much a, 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 a decision to kind of ground the volcanic stuff as, as much into reality as they could. Yeah, obviously, like, you're, for the sake of a movie, you're never going to get one-to-one um, science stuff, but you are going to kind of, there was an effort to kind of make it as similar to Mount St. Helens as possible uh, and take a lot of what actually happened with that. Uh, cause, because people remember too, cause like Mount St. Helens is one of the things that it did happen so long ago, but it was kind of a, a big deal, you know, kind of that a volcano erupted Right in right. Um, like the United States, it's so foreign of like a like a thing a volcano yeah. that that well, the fact that it happens in the United States, yeah, it's just well because we usually imagine like like whenever we would see like volcanoes and like you know the nature films we'd see in science class or like when we would study them in like those science classes, it'll always be like kind of around like the Pacific Rim or you know Mexico or closer to the equator. Like there is always kind of like elsewhere Mm -hmm. especially because it was like it was like washington state and it was kind of very much like wasn't supposed to erupt for a long time then kind of things happened and it very much like just happened you know and it changed the landscape and changed the structure of that area as you can see in the fantasia 2000 sequence (laughs) firebird which is also inspired uh by the mount st helens um eruption so the script was kind of around before that and was kind of it was one of those things where it was kind of getting ready for production because it was just like all the stuff that was surrounding the rebirth of the disaster genre was kind of swirling. And then it was very much like, okay, definitely go for it. Like, let's just get this done because we we're on, we're sitting on a moneymaker here. Was mm-hmm. that kind of the feeling because it just felt like it was the right script at the right time. Um, even though it would be coming out like after Twister and after Independence Day, it still felt like we can use this momentum and we already kind of, are in the throes of production, which would help them very much. Uh, so the director of the movie is a man named Roger uh, Donaldson. And Roger Donaldson was a New Zealand director kind of from this wave of late 80s, early 90s, um, New Zealand-based directors, uh, Martin Campbell, uh, Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had made some films with uh, Kevin Costner in the past, kind of never like a huge film maker but definitely was getting work and just he was very interested in in using the special effects and trying to make this kind of realistic volcano movie 
Um, and that was a big boon because uh, for Pierce Brosnan because Pierce Brosnan was friends with Roger Donaldson. They had met uh, when when Roger uh, when Brosnan first came out to L.A. in the early '80s. Um, just kind of like been friendly. Uh, it was like we always wanted to work together. He was a director, I was an actor. It just seemed like a natural fit. Um, and so Brosnan, having just come off of the very big success of Goldeneye, mm-hmm. uh, it was very easy for Donaldson to convince the studio, like, let's get Pierce Brosnan for the role. Because it was just like, oh, we, we had just seen this new star. It'll be basically like his kind of his second movie after, you know, or first movie after Goldeneye. Um, because, you know, he was, you know, the next Bond movie wasn't come out till the end of the end, end of that year. So they definitely had kind of a big boon for that. Uh, so basically just the movie is kind of made based on the script and based off this casting they get of the duo of Pierce Brosnan and our leading lady mm-hmm. in this movie, uh, Linda Hamilton. Right. Uh, note about Linda Hamilton. She, of course, most known for her, her role as Sarah Connor in right. the Terminator film franchise. Of course. So she had, she had done two of the Terminator movies at this time. I do not know... I, if I had seen her in anything else other than Terminator. So, okay. So that was, I'm glad that you said that. Cause that was kind of like my, my, uh, admission, uh, going into this as I was, we were watching this and I knew this was probably, I don't know if this is bad, but it was one of these things where I don't think I've ever really seen Linda, Linda Hamilton in anything else other than those two movies. So it, it was it was fun going into this watching that. And otherwise, they just kind of filled the the the, the cast out with a lot of other kind of sort of the character actors slash just working actors. Type that of thing. you know, that was one of like the most interesting things to me was because sometimes when you go back and watch movies like this, like they're usually filled with like a bunch of like at least bit roles by like actors that like oh yeah like I've seen him yeah. in a bunch of other movies or I've seen her in a bunch of other movies at that time. Because sometimes you'll get like to a twister, and then you'll be like, "Oh, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, I forgot he was in this." Or you'll see, and you know, I don't really have an actor's name off the top of my head, but a, a type of actor like that that you may have seen in a bunch of movies of that of that decade. So it was interesting that really only the two leads were like the most notable names going uh, going into it. Yeah, uh, it's like other things like you like you know they've had other roles like the guy Paul is like in the thing type of thing where it's like right right like right. it's definitely like they're working actors you know definitely have a lot of things but like nobody else was like like this this guy it's like they kind of just filled in with auditions and 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 definitely that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they begin filming uh, May nine six nineteen ninety six. Uh, most of this film was actually shot on location in uh, Idaho. Uh, they kind of you know kind of took over a real kind of small town kind of fixed it up to be their their new town for the movie um and then very much like a lot of it was setting up the kind of shots so that you could have the visual effect of the mountain in the background and sort sort of thing um brosnan noted that he loved working on dante's peak because it would take so long for them to get ready for like the plates and all the effects and stuff like that that he, you know, it would be like, call would be like eight or nine in the morning. He would go fishing in costume, you know, for a couple hours. He had a walkie talkie with him. They would like, by like two o'clock, they'd be like, okay, we're ready. He would hop back to set and just, he was like, I'd be the volcano guy again. Uh, so it was very like kind of relaxing, especially in comparison to kind of the Bond productions and especially, you know, the, the kind of the, um, 
the stuff that he was about to get into and the stuff that was already kind of brewing with Tomorrow Never Dies, which was in production at the same time. And mm. that kind of like, where's the script and kind of the rush production of that is very much like, well, I'm going to kind of partially take this as a vacation while still taking it very seriously. Right. One of the other things uh, Brosnan noted is that he very much practiced using the term pyroclastic cloud. Oh, right. Because he was like, because he's still kind of, even though he has that natural Irish sure, sure. Uh, tone, he's still kind of using that kind of Pierce Brosnan voice, like that Bond voice of his. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely comes like when you're doing like accents that, you know, a more complicated word yeah. complicates the accent. So it's just basically like, it's gonna, it's like a big moment in the movie where it's like kind of the big climax of like the big cloud coming in. And I, I, like, I knew I had to get it right because I didn't want to have to say it on camera a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of other things to note. Um, there's a scene in the movie where there's like the rock slide and the robot and everything like that, uh, which we'll talk about. That was actually filmed. Uh, some of it was filmed on the actual Mount St. Helens. Oh, cool. Um, and you, uh, it was kind of a mix between that and they did some stuff on um, the, the Van Nuys airport as well uh, later in production. Um, the Basically, like there was just... This is one of those things where, like, when you look at the early, it's one of those things where it's still like kind of the early history of major use of CG in mm-hmm. in motion pictures. Like, it was still like you know, because Jurassic Park was just a couple years before this, and then kind of that element like truly explodes right post Jurassic Park. So this is one of those like when you hear the stories of just like all the work that they had to do uh, to kind of make the mountain work and and kind of fit it in. It was kind of one of those like almost like hidden. CGI story gems, just in terms of like a lot of work went in to make that uh, the effects work uh, right. for the movie, especially because uh, while they were in you know the middle of filming the film and you know getting ready to do the uh, post production, there is an announcement that another volcano movie will be coming out in 1997. That's going to be yeah. This is this is the big uh, uh, history of uh, at least my my recollection of this film. So, so yeah. there's an announcement um, that because this is a Universal movie, um, and let me just I want to just double check the studio real quick of uh, the other one because we have another movie also coming out in 1997 called Volcano um, that is starring Tommy Lee Jones and Don Cheadle, and that's coming out from Fox. Mm-hmm. And that one is very much more in a direct response to that Super Bowl ad and just like, we need a disaster movie type of thing. What do, right, we, ha- what do right. we have on the table? And, and especially given the, the, you know, kind of what I said about, all right, disaster, White House, let's put a disaster in a, in a fairly well-known location. Like, yeah, it's just like, that one's like a volcano under L.A. Um, and so the, the, the studio, Universal and everybody is like, we need to make sure ours comes out first. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt because they're like, yes, this one shot later is filmed later. But if we have any issues with the CG, any issues with the effects and we have to delay the film, if we go too close to this other volcano movie. Right. As with we kind of mentioned with the Towering Inferno, it's just going to cannibalize each other. So they, they set that date of February 1997. And so they needed to make sure that move that came out. Um, I will say, though, that there also, of course, was a lot of practical effects. Some of the magma stuff um, and the ash was all kind of just practical. Um, Both movies, both Volcano and um, 
Adante's Peak used mostly um, really fine newspaper uh, ground up to become the ash. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, that would be the way to do it, I think. Yeah. Uh, so there kind of there was that. Um, mm-hmm. But that's basically kind of the so thing. It, my, my, well, I had a question, but I'll leave it to, to the actual movie. You, no, you can ask it. No, I was just going to say, like, given those two movies, like, do we do we know what the because it it follows in the in the legacy of rivaling concepts such as um, Deep Impact and um, Armageddon, which is like not which is still part of that kind of late '90s disaster renaissance, right? So you know you have that, then you have you know uh, Olympus has fallen, or is it is it Olympus has fallen Olympi- and, and, uh, and White House down? Yes, uh, Olympus has fallen, White House down. Yeah. So yeah, so you have all of that. Um, so do we know kind of like what the legacy of like the rivaling between the two like, movies are? Do you want like talk about like that now or? Like, yeah, well that's what I was saying. I, I could probably just leave that until like yeah, we'll the, talk, we about, talk about we'll the talk about movie. the aftermath once we get our thoughts out yeah. on on Dante's Peak. Yeah. I, one of the things to note, though, it is funny that, like, the disaster genre, like, because it had, like, you know, it had the 70s boom period, then it had kind of that quieter 80s period, then comes back in the 90s, and then essentially, like, it definitely has had its ups and downs, but it is funny that, like, Roland Emmerich has essentially just kind of kept that genre heartbeat alive. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, whenever, like, there's a lull in the disaster movie genre if there's been no disaster movies for a while all of a sudden a 2012 will come well, out it, right at you it, it's really funny because you even though my brain knew that he directed all these movies it was kind of crazy when i actually looked back on his filmography yeah. and it was like day after tomorrow followed by 2012 like it was just funny like wow this guy actually has a lot of disaster films and, or yeah and honestly like you can definitely see where his 98 Godzilla fits into like this disaster oh, sure, kind of sure, genre yeah. because it's very much like we're going to go to like the famous place. It's going to be about kind of getting out of there, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously like it's a little bit different with that because it's a giant monster, but you can definitely see how something like Dante's peak is just tangentially related to that like 98 Godzilla in terms of the tropes and the, the style of it right. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, is that is that it to say about that? Yeah, that's pretty. We... That's pretty much. That's pretty much it uh, on the story of Dante's Peak. And one of those things, fairly simple. Like it's not a movie that there's a ton, like a ton of like out there. I'm sure, like if I had like the the Blu-ray or something, there's some sort of behind the scenes and stuff. I actually would like to hear like a commentary about this movie. I think it would be a fairly interesting commentary, assuming that like the director is interesting. Well, it's time for our commentary. We have a we have a Brosnan and we have a. Uh, a volcano so let's talk about them being in the same film yeah so we'll be right back never been married Why not? Well, for one thing, I move around a lot. Colombia, Guatemala, the Philippines. Mexico, New Zealand, New Guinea. Wherever there's a volcano with an attitude. Makes it hard to settle down. You ever come close? 
this. Once. Touchy subject. Her name was Marion. We worked together. She loved volcanoes. Fascinated by them. Loved the life. Four years ago, a volcano erupted in Colombia. Marianne and I thought we had enough time to get out. Unfortunately, we were wrong. We got too close to the show. Marianne was killed. If this thing blows, if she doesn't mount St. Helens, Blast will get here within a minute. Well, I hope you're wrong about our volcano, Harry. But if not, I'm glad you're here. The movie in which Pierce Brosnan gets revenge on a volcano. <laughs> or at least that's what I thought it was going to be. Like that that's how I kind of as the movie opens up, I was like, is it if this movie is about Pierce Brosnan getting revenge on a volcano, then then, then I'm on board. Um, uh, it, it wasn't exactly that, but for the most part, yeah, I, I was on board. Yeah, Dante's Peak is very much like it is. It has all the DNA of a disaster movie through and through. Well, it's especially like the way I've I've been describing the people thus far, it is one hundred percent everything you expect from a Universal Studios like disaster movie. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's just. It has all, like, it, it, it's not even, like, tropes. It, it just reminded me of, like, all those movies, like, like for instance, like, it, it's, it's just that movie where it's a disaster movie, but you can tell, like, like the bits of the, um... Like the like the sound stages and like the and like the big pyrotechnics and like like this is the big scene where like the uh, the helicopter is gonna crash into the barn. I can't wait to see that during like the Universal Studios tour. Like like that mm. kind of stuff. Like yes, remind yes. you of like things like um like Twister and Backdraft and, and, and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Just right down to the score and the aesthetic and and, and everything about that. And, and 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 I found it to be just kind of like a solid just type of comfort food in that way where it was kind of like just knowing that this was like that type of spectacle back in the day and then so so I, I did find uh, some 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 charm in that yeah I would, I would definitely agree in that I, I think like it's definitely like a solid entry into the genre and I think that comfort food uh, analogy definitely fits in the sense that like, Everything you're seeing is kind of familiar. You just you kind of know once you kind of get into it, you kind of know like the beats of everything, what's going to happen. But it just kind of all works in that sense. Like it's all put together very well. It's not gonna like blow you away, quote unquote, because it's like a right, right, volcano, <laughs> volcano right, movie. Right. But it is pyroclastic, blow you away. But I think like especially like you know it does like it you know it. it builds the tension to like the volcano erupting right it gives you all the like drama there and then the volcano erupts and you get all the like we have to get out of here we have to save the kids we have to you know we have to like all the like complications that come with a volcano exploding and it 
it all kind of just comes together into like a so, very nice watchable package. But but you know, it, I did find it interesting um, because it did make me think of like what's always interesting about when we get into different types of movies because with the Bond movies and the and the Godzilla films. You know, sometimes the type of movie they are, they they kind of shift a little bit. But for the most part, you're kind of like stuck with spy movie and monster film. Yeah. And what's been awesome about kind of getting outside of the canon a little bit is that we can play a little bit with like genre and like talk about like the the or subgenre. So with this, it, I, I was spending a lot of time thinking about like a true disaster movie because we've often said like, you know, we've called. Shin Godzilla and Godzilla 2014 a disaster movie of sorts but yeah. but this is kind of like a true like natural d- disaster yeah. movie. So it was interesting watching that and really um really uh just kind of like picking it apart like or looking at it an- analytically a little bit just as a subgenre. And it's a very interesting subgenre because mm-hmm. you go into it knowing what's going to happen mm-hmm. like you you know like what you're in for there's there's one reason like you basically come in because you know that it's going to be the characters uh you're, you know it's going to be man versus nature like you know it's yeah. just going to be like like there's no real mystery to like so there's this there is a sense like all right you are not waiting for her, but you you know that the 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 volcano is going to blow yeah. and that it, it, it's it's going to be the shoes, bad. That shoe's going to drop. Right. What also makes it interesting a movie like this is that really that's kind of the plot. And and what I mean by that though is like even with other disaster esque movies, like let's say if you have an Independence Day or if you have like a Godzilla type of movie or any or anything like that. And quite frankly, if you go back and if you come really up to modern day, if you want to keep it in disaster movies with other modern classics such as Geostorm, something like Gerard Butler and Geostorm, something like that, um, there's no real kind of plot or villain in it. Like, there's no really like point A to point B in that way. Because when you look at all those other movies, like even though there's a bunch of mayhem going on, there's still a level of like, there's no like, we're not going to beat the volcano. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, and, and it's the same thing with, like, Twister and, like, Poseidon Adventure and everything. And, and sometimes... Um, it's It becomes... It so becomes more about... Like, a lot of times it becomes about, like, the escape, right? It's right, about, it's right. It's about, like, yeah, your volcano or, like, your sinking ship and all the water coming in or Italian Inferno, like, the fire, like, in this big building. It very much is, like, that's what you're battling. And the uh, whole point of it is, like, we need to survive and we need to get out of here. Well, it just becomes interesting, like what the movie fills its plot with. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's interesting that you can look at different ones. So, like, another modern example would be like uh, the, the rock movie San Andreas. Yes. Where there is more of an effort where they really pack that movie with a little bit of plot. Like, they, they set up the stage to make the journey of surviving this massive event like as complicated as it can be. So they they set up like, you know, the rock and he's divorced and Alexander Daddario's like the like the daughter and then, you know, uh, his ex-wife is like dating Mr. Fantastic. So then they kind of like he's not really a villain, but they kind of make him do some villainous things right, and yeah. so they kind of pad out like Right, you there's know, all there is the thing where it's like there's always there's, there's like a lot of times, most of the time, there is that like 
if there's not like a true villain, there is that kind of like asshole or or just like kind of that momentary kind of antagonist of just like so okay so i'm glad you said that because so that brings me to kind of like this movie that kind of like streamlines a lot of like all the character stuff but it it reminded me of like a lot of like the different tropes because you're you're kind of taken away like they're not really focusing so much on like a complicated plot in that way but you still have to have like certain beats in the movie to justify certain things so for instance in all these movies like this you always have a character that's either you always have an asshole character like a character who's clearly like doing something shady or at least at the very least is unlikable in some way or or is doing something kind of like eye rolling or and stuff and you that character always gets killed mm-hmm. and so it's funny like so if you have something like san andreas mr fantastic he's like you know a it's kind of that thing where all right he's like the rock's ex-wife's current boyfriend so they're kind of generating a feeling of you don't like him like right. anyway yeah. like yeah. so but then they also make it like oh he's kind of cowardly and doesn't like come like come to rescue alexandra daddario in the same way the rock would like that movie's hilarious because you've seen that movie right no oh that movie's so hilarious because he mr fantastic kind of leaves her but kind of doesn't and then comes back he 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 even though he's cowardly and they they present him that way, he plans to come back and rescue her. But when he does, like kind of like the whole like wing that he was gonna go in, like crumbles and like everything falls. So they kind of like be like, all right, yes, it's cowardly, but he's kind of like, oh well, she's dead. Like that part of the building just got destroyed, so I'm gonna run away. So I just think it's funny that like, you know. It's not an unreasonable assumption to think yeah. that she's dead, but I love how the movie is just like, no, he's a coward. <laughs> so it's just funny. So anyway, so regardless, but there's always that movie where they have to make a character at least unlikable so their death feels somewhat cathartic. Like, it's interesting. Like, you have to have a movie like this, and not everybody can be, like, an innocent person no. that dies. Because then it's just like like dour and no fun so they have to throw in a few people in there that like quote-unquote deserve the death Mm -hmm. so so what i found funny so in this movie there's a whole plot line where not quite to the same intensity but you have a kind of like mayor from jaws type attitude between some of the politicians yeah not quite the same like it's not the same fever yeah but there's a little bit of like Ah, like, what, what are you having us worry about this for? Are, it's not even that. They just kind of have them semi-annoyed at the the, the, the scientists. Com- right. It's 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 very much like, it is very much like, you know, yeah, it's just the, the general annoy, like the inconvenience. Right, it. right. It's just like, 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 like we're, we're, de- we're, we're on the, they're, you know, they're, they kind of throw in like, we're on the precipice of like, you know, getting more money for the town, like expanding our economy. And it's like that side of thing happens, but there isn't the like, we have to like lie to the people. It's just more so like God. Like this is this is just ill timed and, and well, like we don't have to do any of so that. So they have that, and then when shit starts at the fan, uh, they have this moment like, hey, like let's just get out of here, like behind the scenes. Like they have, like we're just gonna get out of here now. Yeah. And so they they set all that up, and then they're in the helicopter. And then the helicopter dies with the helicopter, like with the with the helicopter pilot that 
when they needed him in an emergency earlier in the movie, he wanted to negotiate his rate. So it was just funny. So they get up into the air, and then because of like all the ash in the air, they crash. Like, yeah. Then they're dead. So I just found it funny that that trope still came to life. It's like all the the three most at best unlikable or at worst just they were kind of unlikable they're definitely dead yeah like they're definitely dead and there's also this weird thing in the movie that if you were at all actually now i think about it i think this is kind of like the blanket rule throughout the movie if you were at all skeptical about anything going on at any point that pierce brosnan told you you're dead yeah in the yes. movie like when you really think about it in the yeah movie, all the people that do like all the on screen because there's definitely people off screen who die then they may have doubted him who knows um but all the all the like on screen characters that like push anything against pierce's like right, gut instinct right. are like yeah they're gone and, and, and you know what's crazy about it is that for the most part most of those people were not super unreasonable either. Mm-hmm. Like, so for instance, like you, you have Pierce Brosnan. For, okay. Well, before we get into that, the plot of the movie is Pierce Brosnan plays a volcano specialist. Yes. A, ge- a, a geologist who specializes in volcanology. Right. And him and his wife studied volcanoes. Girlfriend. Oh, his girlfriend. Yes. Okay. It was very it distinct. Was, like, like that was like the, like the only person he's ever loved. Right. Like truly. So basically, but she loved volcanoes more. Yeah. Well, because it's basically like the movie opens with like kind of a different volcano eruption, like something that is essentially like in Mexico or South America or something like that. Right. And basically like we're in like it opens up basically. First of all, I just got to say the title card. Spectacular. Yeah. Because it's very much just the title card. You get the universal logo. You're going through these clouds and they just basically like you get like the like the, you know, Producer Pierce Brosnan, right, direct, right, right. Like director, and like a you know a Roger Donaldson film, Pierce Brosnan, and then like the kind of see the volcano explosion, yeah, and then like the Dante's Peak title, kind of like like kind of slowly. I, I have to be honest. I have to be fair. Uh, going throughout the entire movie, I thought like the volcano effects were pretty spot this on. This is this is a genuine hidden gem of of effects, like '90s effects movie. Yeah, just in terms of like whatever like of the tropes and the plot and everything like that the the volcano stuff holds up very well yeah i i would say extremely well like yeah. I, and and it was funny because knowing the time period it was i was waiting for that all right this is the impressive for the time but dated now vfx shot and and i can't really they, automatically point it to one generally did create like a world like you you just felt this was kind of actually happening mm-hmm. type of thing where like just the the combination of the CG effects and like model work and on set stuff like it yeah. really did come together. I, that was the only thing that was kind of dated at the time. Like any movies that had like practical miniature or or um, uh, pyrotechnic explosions. Yeah. Like chock full of it. Like it, it, it is funny. Like today we'll complain about like a CGI explosion, but then yeah. you go back and watch a movie like this. If something was exploding, they will show you that explosion from every single angle or every building that they charge with an yes. explosion. Cause it's kind of like that. Listen, we blew it up. We're going to show it on camera. Yeah. It, it's the, it's the speed rule. Like they do this in speed in the movie speed a lot too, right. where there's like an explosion. And I swear they show every single camera angle of it. Yeah, happening. When it, when, uh, when the bus finally crashes into the airplane. Yeah. 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 I love that um, movie. It, uh, it, it, it's that one, and then there's like the explosion. I think like earlier in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, there, yeah there, there, the there's beginning. a couple. Yeah. But it, it was just because you the, you got the sense of like producers are like, 
we, we we blew it up. You're gonna show it as yeah. much as, as much as you. But can. But it kind of has that charm, though. Oh, oh, it sure, sure, has. sure. But I, but generally speaking, I thought this was like a gem of like a really good example of mm. like mid '90s like effects movie. I agree. But anyway, so the movie opens. They're in the middle of this this major volcano explosion. Pierce Brosnan is like driving through the streets looking for his girlfriend. Right. And then finally they get together. And it's like, you know, like, there's, like, they can't see because all the ash and, like, people are running away and, you know, rocks, fire rocks are, like, falling through right. the sky. And so eventually, like, they're basically, like, you know, kind of doing, like, they're worried about getting out, but they're like, we're together, we're going to get through this. And then, of course, uh, one of the, like, big fire boulder rock things, like, falls through the roof right on top of the girlfriend in the passenger seat. Yeah, it she she gets headshot by a volcano. Yeah. And this was like the first time where it it, it it didn't quite dawn on me until like maybe like like a like twenty minutes later about how kind of weirdly gruesome this movie is. Yes, like because that first shot, like that that first death of the girlfriend, like she gets hit, like you just see the like rock kind of pierce through like the top of the jeep that they're in, and then like it's just Pierce Brosnan's like calling for her, and then you look over and she's like. Her face is like ha- like half charred and like bloody. Oh, and she's like- got like a whole big like because I thought it was gonna be one of those like PG thirteen like deaths where, excuse me, you see like the thing crashed in, but then you just see her dead and like then, she's just like, like leaning over. You're right, but no, they show like a big old like you know impact mark on her head, and I'm just like, jeez, like, she's still kind of moving. Like, yeah, that was like, that was rough. She's totally like dead, but she's just kind of like the last little bits of life, and then like Pierce Brosnan is holding her. Right, and he's, right. Like, no. So anyway, so then uh, cuts, what was it? Four years. Four, four years, years later, later. Um, Pierce Brosnan's been doing push-ups for four years. Yeah, because until he's called in. Because your, your reintroduction to the character is like, you know, he's getting a call, and his name is Harry Dalton, and uh, of course, you know, the great Timothy Dalton. Right. That, that's because I, I didn't. I was about. like, I usually like I use like the actors, like the character names sometimes, especially within like the the English films we watch. Right. But. I don't want us to just keep saying Dalton because it just makes it seem like right, right. So Pierce Brosnan, it opens up like your reintroduction to the character after that tragic death is him getting a phone call in his like messy apartment, and he's like doing push-ups, and they're like, "I know you're there, Harry. Like, we want you to come in. We got something for you to look at. Like, listen, like, listen, just come on in. Like, if you're there, pick up. If you're not there, then just you know, basically like that. And he, like, he just totally ignores the phone call. And he just keeps he's just push-ups. He's so focused. Like he he very much like is is a focused man. Right, right. And then you know because and it's it, it's funny because you know the the opening just kind of like shows the investment of like the character and like how you know he like it's interesting because the movie yes does I don't think they the movie quite mines that emotional vein. Mm-hmm. as much as you think it would yeah. but at, but what it does is that it basically shows where he's coming from it, the movie's basically honestly setting you up in a way that you just side with him yes. regardless of what which kind of gets into like a funny point later on in the movie because later on in the movie when he's like talking to Linda Hamilton he gives like his whole like this is what happened to my girlfriend, and like we were studying a volcano, and this happened. Right. So you can see another version of this movie that like, that's where that information is given. Mm-hmm. So it's just funny that I do think that like the purpose of showing it is to have the audience just on his side from yeah. the get go. I think it's like it, I I do think that opening sequence like kind of works very well for this movie in total because I think one it showcases like that 
side of Pierce Brosnan so that when he's, you know, going to bat about we need to, like, get people out of here, he's, like, seen it firsthand. You know that. Sure. And it also does sell, like, the destructive nature of the volcano. Well, that's what I mean. I think it's... For it, too, because... There's also the version of the movie where it's like start like that, and, and you really do you, you don't kind of know if he's crazy because like oh like it's a volcano like it's a slowly moving lot like that sort of thing, and then like you see like no like volcanoes can get wild. Well, yeah, I, I think that's a level of like it, it, it's trying to get the like as an audience member, right. you don't want to like get halfway in the movie. It's like well maybe Pierce Brosnan is being like over oh like you know he is uh, over um, thinking this. Um, so he basically gets sent to this town. Dante's Peak, Washington. Dante's Peak, Washington, the uh, second most, the second most popular town to live in or something like that. Second most desirable town to live in with a population of under 20,000. Right. Um, so yeah, that's funny. Um, and then basically it's like. And you just know it's again, it's like, it's just doing the disaster movie thing where you know, like the volcano from the moment you step into this movie, you know, it's a ticking time bomb. So it's just all this stuff that they add of just like. Oh, this town just won this big, like this kind of big award where it's like we're we're a very desirable place to live, and like they're about to get like an eighteen million dollar investment into their economy, and it's just basically like you just know that like oh, like all that's going to shit in like twenty or thirty minutes, mm-hmm. like yeah, it's just kind of funny just how that kind of works. But he's basically like, there's like some reports of like some tremors, and it's just some things where it's like hey, like check this out, you know, it's just like that's like the life of people like Pierce Brosnan, and he even says it's like he goes to like. You know, many of these a year, 90% of the time, they're all just false alarms or just, you know, natural right. elements of the area. And then what about the other 10%? Well. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So and, and, and so that's the movie. The, so oh, the no, movie... Sorry. It, the line is, he's like, what about the other 10%? The like, well, what about the other 10% of the time? He's like, well, you're going to... Uh, you don't have to worry about moving up the first place in that award list. Oh god, yeah, yeah. He's very callous about. I mean, I guess that's the point. Like, you know, he he's seen it firsthand, so he's not gonna like sugarcoat it. Yeah. Um. So of course, like you know, you know. Uh, oh, and then I the other major uh, plot point is that he gets up there. Uh, he meets the mayor of the town, played by Linda Hamilton. Yes. Um. And uh, they they hit it off, and um. Obviously, this routine uh, checkup that yeah. was just supposed to be a checkup uh, may end up being something more. And, of course, it is because the movie is a disaster movie called Dante's Peak. Right. And then eventually the volcano blows up and then they have to survive. That, that's yeah. what the movie I mean, that's is. That's what the movie is. Yeah. But there's definitely a lot of fun details along but, the way. But can I say that just kind of – I, I want to go back to the this initial point that I was making. Is that they do this thing where like when – I didn't really think about it until then. But if you were at all like – against you're right that gut instinct about pierce brosnan or anybody in, in, in the cast then you're dead yeah so like you obviously have the characters that i had already said died so then you have his like buddy who is like uh i guess he's like head of like the department he's his boss yeah he's his boss paul is paul. The, his character's name so paul comes in and pierce brosnan already takes the time he like he gets everybody right. like the because cool, they discovered the horror movie death. Sure. Okay. So this was like the next death. So so for the, first, some the reason, first like death in the like obviously after the opening sequence. This is the first Dante's Peak area related death. 
Yeah, and it's straight out of like a monster movie. It's straight out. It's straight out of a Friday the Thirteenth. So movie. yeah, they cut to these uh, these canoodling teens, skinny dipping in a right. uh, in a hot spring, mm-hmm. and you know it's of course like the whole like oh Brad, like I'm gonna take off my bra, and yeah. it's like yeah, I like it when you take off your bra. Blah, it's blah, like, blah. It's, doesn't it feel a little hot? Like it's supposed to be hot, baby. That's why it's called a hot spring. Yeah, and th- and then like they 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 see like birds, like you know they get spooked and they fly off and then he's like and he's like oh it must have been an animal that spooked i was like what is the volcano gonna sneak up on them yeah so and then it's like the hot spring basically boils them to death right and like they, it starts bubbling a little bit faster and then you just you hear their screams and you see like blood like you see like the water turn red yeah and then, and then eventually linda hamilton and her kids and her, and her kids and they, grandma don't forget grandma yeah and they, and they find the bodies and it's, it's very and pure pure like because they also like along the way, like they're up the mountain. And he's doing all the tests, and he's like taking the acidity of the lake, and he's kind of like looking at all that stuff. He then they find the dead squirrels, uh, like the mutilated squirrels, and then the- yeah, and then he, they find the bodies, and he's like, these are volcano marks. <laughs> well, it's like because then you know he saves the kids from going in because they're about to jump in the hot spring, and right? Like that's when he like calls he calls it in. And it's like listen, like. The city lakes, like you know, got me worried. There's a lot of carbon dioxide, and we have two like dead people here. And then, so basically, we were talking about Paul. He basically like, you guys need to get down here with all the equipment. Like, this is something to monitor. Where he's already like, you know, and Pierce is already kind of telling Linda Hamilton, who's the mayor, uh, and the rest of like the town council, like the possibility of all this, and right. we should like stage an evacuation. Whereas Paul comes in, and he's like. You know, he basically, like, from experience, like, a lot of these times, even if it seems certain, it's going to be a false alarm. Like, I would have bet $100 that this other volcano, uh, you know, in, like, uh, Montana would have erupted, and it didn't, and we destroyed the economy of the town. So, like, right. let's just take it scientifically. But but here is the thing. So, he comes onto the scene, and he's playing that card. Yeah. And at first, when he when he does play the card, and he's like, you can't tell these people that, you think that the movie is actively setting him up as, like, kind of the antagonist to Pierce. Like, in terms of being like, like ah, don't worry about it, you're crazy. But then when he talks to, like, the, the council or whatever, he gives a pretty measured response. Yeah. Like, he's like, listen, we're going to do this, this, and this. Here are all the precautions we're taking. We're going to monitor everything. We're not going to shortchange anything. And it would behoove you to just... Keep an eye on everything. Mind your P's and Q's, and like you know, the pot. This is a possibility that it could happen, right. but you know, there's the a better chance that it won't. So he gives like this really, uh, like right, like, reasonable like response to that. Or like he kind of it's one of those things where like he kind of undercuts Pierce's like immediate like response thing, but he also is like. He's just acting out of instinct, and it's a good instinct. It's just that we're going to kind of take and, a, We're going to do a few more tests. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, they get everybody out of the town. Mostly. Everybody. Mostly. Mo- like, most. Okay. A bridge like, does collapse. Yeah. But no. But the thing is, like, the bridge collapses. Well, I guess, like, okay, the, not the, everybody made it out. The freeway bridge I'm talking yeah, about. Not, like, not the other bridge yeah. scene. So, like, but for the most part, and I get what Pierce Brosnan saying, like, it, it could have been everybody. Like, it's like we could have just gotten everybody out now, which, okay, all right, maybe I'll back yeah. off a little bit. But I, I don't know if he was a villainous character. And then later on in the movie, not only does he die, does he bite it, <laughs> but he gets maybe the most disrespectful death I've ever seen in cinema. This yeah. was so, crazy. So they do this whole thing where him and the rest of the crew – 
they stay behind because they're they're going to monitor the volcano until until as long as humanly possible. Right. They're basically like everybody else is kind of panicking out of town, but they're sticking there, making sure like there's that initial panic of everybody kind of rushing out because like again, like they're they're about to do the evacuation, but the volcano like erupts just as they're like having the meeting about the evacuation. Mm-hmm. So everybody's like kind of panicking out of town. And like, that's where like some of the, like the most distinct, like, you know, there everybody's like crashing cars and like, then they try to get on the freeway, but the freeway bridge collapses because of the earthquakes and stuff like that. Right. Right. But right. the, but the, the whole, there's a yeah, whole, I guess those people died. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I mean, there's other people that probably didn't, maybe the assholes who didn't go to the meeting. They're like, guys, ah, right, right. 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 Uh, so anyways, um, but the, the whole, team there's a whole team of the the geological crew and they essentially stay behind to assure anything else anybody else needs to get out of the town until the national guard shows up because they were like the national guard can't make it till tomorrow but like they'll get here as soon as possible the national guard gets there they're finally like you know they're trying to also wait for pierce brosnan but pierce brosnan is doing his other like trying to save the kids at this point so they're basically like the bridge is about the class we got to go so they start going out the rest of the team makes it all yeah, the military the, the, people. The, the, the bridge is like kind of like the the, the final bridge to get out of the right. town. Oh, because the um the final bridge like to get out of the town, like the the lava of the volcano has eroded the dam, mm. so all the water is rushing and basically like taking away this bridge. Mm. So like all the military people get across, and like the rest of the team get across, but Paul gets like stuck in his jeep. Right. Right. And, you know, it's kind of like, all right, like, Paul was a good dude, ultimately. Right, it's like, yeah, he, he definitely, like, had his, like, you know, his arguments with Pierce Brosnan, but he also was kind of a likable, you know, he gets drunk at one, you know, kind of slightly drunk at one point, so there's, like, a likability to the guy, too. That, like, I, like, no, a, I'm signing with this. Paul did nothing wrong. No, he didn't like, do anything. Sure, like, he was, like... You like, do like, kind of like just him. Because he, just because he told Pierce Brosnan that you need to take some time off does not make him a bad guy. Yeah. So... He gets to this bridge, tries to escape. Right, he gets stuck. The bridge is like like collapsing. They're all telling him like you you're gonna have to jump. You're gonna have to jump. He basically gets out of his car, realizes it's too far to jump, and and becomes like resigned to his death. Like, right. He looks, he looks at the rest of the crew. So the movie like, gives him like, all right, I guess I I, I I've earned this. I've earned this death. And then it, it's this huge buildup. Because it's a character that you've liked, I guess, right, for and through it's like, this movie. And it's like, you know, and it's like the you know, the rest of the crew is like they like know he's gonna die, but they're still like, come on, jump! Like you know, they're like they're giving the last ditch effort, but he's basically like kind of resigned with like a it. medium close up of him and his face of resignation. And then like the bridge he's on flips over, and you see his little body fall off. There's no sound other than like the water and a Wilhelm scream. <laughs> this may be. One of the weirdest placements of a Wilhelm scream I have ever heard in my film-loving you, life. You, you and me, like, cause you know we're watching it, but both you and me had a very visible, like, what? <laughs> because I just did like, not see it coming the, at the, all. The Wilhelm scream, you know, it's a very famous scream. Most of you have heard it listening to this podcast, <laughs> and. Usually it's like placed for like a stormtrooper or like kind of a henchman or like a random action scene. Yeah, it, it, it's a it, it's a filmmaking running gag. Right. Yeah. Like you put it in there for fun most of the time. Yeah, and it, and and the thing is like it's usually reserved for like let's say like a bunch of 
barracks are exploding. Right. And you see bodies and like soldiers jump out of windows and it's supposed to be a fun action sequence. Well, you would like throw in a Wilhelm scream like uh, off to the side. Like in this movie, if you were going to place it in this movie, I would have expected it in like the initial, like when the volcano first blows up and it's a big crowd scene where like everybody's kind of running away. Exactly. Only because yeah. it's like, it's like a big crowd. One person kind of falls and you just hear it. And it's just like, oh, it's like kind of the fun, like the beginning of the real disaster Like stuff. imagine you're watching like Endgame and like, like I don't know, like and then like they do. Black Widow does her, her whole sacrifice, and then when she lets go, when she let goes of Hawkeye's hand, spoilers. Uh, they just put a. Oh! <laughs> That's like the thing because again, it is like this emotional lead up. It's like really the one character death that I feel like is truly like emotionally like most earned i guess of the like because there's the other one which we'll talk about in a second well i mean but it's like yeah it's like the one where it's like if you were gonna earn a death and feel like real bad about a character dying it was gonna be this one because it was like again the guy really did nothing wrong he just and i would argue is in the movie way more than the person we do get an in-depth sad death for yeah so then that leads to grandma yeah. who's linda hamilton's um, Ex husband who went she, he uh, the 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 husband went AWOL. She they so had two just, kids together and then yeah, just right, and ran yeah, off. So two kids. So the whole thing about Pierce Brosnan stuff is that they they've done through the whole thing. So Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton uh, get kind of close. Like Linda Hamilton is the mayor of the town and also owns a coffee shop. So she's like it's like very small town like mayor. She's like I'm a business owner and the mayor. Uh, and you know she's like getting close because she has to be like you know talking to Pierce about all the volcano stuff and she like helps brings coffee to the volcano team and they you know invites him over to dinner one night and you know he starts like liking the kids and you know talking about like doing magic tricks and the Vulcan hand signal to the kids and stuff like that the Vulcan sign which I can't do um and you know they're getting kind of romantically on board with each other Mm -hmm. and then eventually like you know everybody's like oh like all the rest of the team's like oh man Pierce like nothing's gonna happen here you know we're we're out of here we're gonna keep all our equipment here so we can monitor but you know it's it's done and so basically like then pierce finds the 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 cult like the the true proof of it which is uh sulfur in the water supply right and so they're going to evacuate the town and that's like there's your proof so as soon as they're like having this meeting to evacuate the town the volcano starts its first eruption and everybody like panics out of there Mm -hmm. and so pierce brosnan and the hamilton are like oh we got to go get the kids and of course, it's like you have like the daughter who's like kind of very much like the good kid, and then you have the son. Yeah, she's like the 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 kid. She's like the adult kid. Yeah, in terms of like she, you know, yeah, in the terms of kids tropes, she's like the kid who like helps like Linda Hamilton. Like, mom, her name's Karen. Your good jacket's in the closet. Like, like all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, she she's like the kid. She doesn't do this in the movie, but she's like the kid who like when like the main lead comes, she's like, "So what? You going to ask my mom out on a date? You should." Like it's just yeah. like one of those. And yeah. then, and then you have the son who's like the troublemaker who like hides in the mine and and like, you know, doesn't listen to mom and stuff like that. So they're like, "Oh, we got we got to go get the kids cuz they left them, you know, at home for the meeting cuz they like, no, we don't need them to come to this meeting." Mm-hmm. Should have probably had him at the meeting though, like close by. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, um, but but basically they go back to Linda Hamilton's house. And they find a note where, like, oh, like, the kids went to go get grandma. Because grandma is in this uh, Jeep. Or, sorry, that's this Jeep. They go, she's in this cabin that's on, like, you know, the other side of this lake. And 
she's like refuses to go because like oh this this uh, this mountain won't hurt me it hasn't hurt me for twenty seven years right, or whatever right. it is like as long as I've lived here we built this cabin yeah, when I was but, when I was in my but, 30s. but this was a weird thing and and I and I must have missed it earlier in the movie and I'm sure it was but they hit this whole emotional thing with grandma that like this was like her home like you know and yeah. she has such an emotional investment in their home but I like it kind of comes up heavily in this one rescue plot line. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I don't really, I mean, I'm sure they talked about it earlier in the movie, but the thing is they talked about it slightly, but they really just set it up right before the house is destroyed. No, that's what I mean. It's like, they literally like, they kind of like hint at it where it's like, you know, like grandma talks about like the house, like at least once, like kind of in like a respectful way. But like right before the house is destroyed in this recce sequence, she like finds a picture. She's like, "Oh, see, this is my this is this is my husband building the cabin." Like that. Right. Yeah. So and so so basically, like what I was saying is that the kids, you know, the 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 son, you know, they they kind of like have this relationship with grandma. Grandma's cool to them. So the kids take um, Linda Hamilton's car and start like driving up the mountain. It's like we got to save grandma. So I just have like the 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 son's like in the driver's seat, like driving pretty fine for a kid he actually I, that's very impressive he got up there like seeing like how n- there was no visibility driving i yeah. would have been screwed right uh so then like pierce Brosnan and then the hamilton are like well we can't escape the town we can't leave because we have to go find the kids right so it's like while everybody else is evacuating the pierce Brosnan lot line becomes we have to go up the mountain into this volcano into right into its path get the kids and grandma if she's there and like then find a way out and that's right. where all the like drama of Pierce Brosnan's character and Linda Hamilton's character come in the second half because it really is like a lot of disaster movies. And this one I think takes a little bit more. Usually, like usually, it's like the first act is kind of the setup, and then you kind of get the disaster stuff well, like, really quickly. I, I, I want to splits it half. And I, half. I, I do want to like l- let's get into into those in, into those details because we'll eventually get into the fate of Grandma. Was so just kind of like thinking about the movie overall. You're right. It is, it is a very solid setup but it, it it's very like streamlined and one of the reasons i've come to really appreciate movies that just kind of like know what they are in the sense of like they're just kind of like straight to the point so like they set up this relationship between linda hamilton and pierce brosnan and there was a certain level of like oh yeah it's like pierce brosnan just kind of comes in on the scene Linda Hamilton digs him and they kind of develop a relationship out right. of that. Like, yeah. and there's really no, there's really nothing else too complicated about that. They don't like, yeah, they don't like one, like she doesn't like resist it. Like she's still not pining for the husband or anything like that. That very much is just like a very natural, like they have chemistry. Mm-hmm. I was just stretching my arm. Oh, sorry. I thought yeah. you were pointing at something. No, uh, they have good chemistry with each other. They enjoy each other's company. You know, she comes down and, and brings coffee to everybody, and you know he goes up to her house for dinner, and he, again he has a good like, repertoire with the kids, and he actually like seems to care, like he appreciates that she does seem to care about the town, right, and right, everything like that, and, so. and that, and that's kind of what I mean about they they don't really open up that vein of like oh his troubled past with his girlfriend right. and everything because he kind of mentions it's like he never settled down because like he's always hopping from place to place, yeah, you know, it's like one one week he's in Guatemala, the next week he's in you know. Uh, Washington the next week. I, I just think it could have been really tedious to m- focus in on like, 
I can't let anybody in on my life. Yeah. Because a volcano took my girlfriend. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think like, but I, I think like he plays that emotional honesty and they play it off each other well. Yeah. And then, you know, and that kind of drives some of the stuff into like the, the second half of, of the film where, you know, again, they, the, they have to go rescue the kids, pick up grandma, and then they have to find their way out of this disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is, like I was saying, it's a, it's a film of two halves. You have this first half, which is all the setup uh, to the volcano eruption. And just kind of like, you know, like, oh, like, is the volcano actually going to erupt? Of course it is. But like, you know, kind of all the questioning and the scientific process and everything like that. Then the volcano starts erupting and then it becomes, you know, a, comp- a, a different movie. But it does kind of fit together very well, I think. It just, oh, like, yeah, it yeah. I, I, it doesn't feel like, oh, this became a separate movie. It's just like it really does become, okay, like the disaster started, now it has to be something else, which is also kind of a thing about the disaster movie, where it's like, you know, like if you look at the Poseidon Adventure, like the first part of it's like, oh, it's like setting up all the relationships and the, and the fine cruise ship experience. Or even if you go another movie in 97, which, you know, it kind of, you could say is somewhat similar, is Titanic, where it's like Titanic, you know, we know the ship's going to crash into that iceberg and there's going to be this big escape from the boat, but you have this all this setup of like all the relationships and the politics of the boat and all that. Sort well, of stuff. Uh, well, what's interesting about that though is like I think you're spot on with this. Is that it really is more so than most disaster movies. It, it does at least feel like a fifty-fifty. Here's the first half leading up to the volcano, and here's the second half, which is just all the aftermath of the initial volcano eruption. Yeah. Whereas most disaster movies, I feel are, or at least a lot of the ones that come to mind, play kind of like an 80 like an 80 20 percent rule where like 20 percent um of it and maybe even only 10 percent of it is like leading up to it and then like 90 percent of it is 90 to 80 percent of it is a like disaster yeah um you know like for instance like a san andreas is is, is like yeah. that and and for the most part from what i remember twister is kind of like that yeah. but twister is also uh, twister is a little bit different because there's like it's not like one giant volcano it's like multiple right uh, right twister it's like multiple twisters throughout the well, movie. Twist, twister also does the same thing where it opens up with a with a with a twister with the, that, yeah yes, so they, they make you hate the twister yeah. um but um titanic's actually funny because titanic actually is like that it, it feels at least the, the way that the movie feels i don't know about screen time but it feels more of like the reverse yes like uh like right. 80 20 rule where it right. seems like 80 percent of the movie is them on the boat and then 20 yeah, percent very is just much like all hell breaks more loose. so like that old school one like like the san francisco from the 30s very much like that that's like only the end of the yeah. movie is the actual disaster real, real quick uh, this is unrelated but kind of not have you seen titanic recently uh, not recently enough. I, I'm familiar with the film, but I've not I, recently. I, I, I rewatched it in like the past year. It's a good movie. I I think that it I think, is. I think it, I think it is good. It, but it is funny because that 80, 20 percent rule, yeah. like that twenty percent is so intense. Yes. Like when the when the boat is sinking, it is like insane. James Cameron is a good director. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he is a good director. Um, we kind of forget because we make fun of him making Avatar movies, well, just, but like, yeah, he, he just, is a good director. I mean, like, listen, like, I've also had a chance to rewatch True Lies, which is also a very well directed, oh, sure. yeah, yeah. directed movie. And of course, like, The Terminators, which feature Linda Hamilton. Um, um, but so, but you're right. But this movie does distinctly feel like it, it is split it, it, in, in half yeah. in that way. Yeah, but I, like I said, like, it doesn't feel like a movie of two different... Because sometimes, like, a movie, like, there's a certain point where it's like, oh, it feels like a completely different movie now. The, no, the, no, no, the, no. The no, thing not about, like, like yeah. what, what, what the disaster movie genre helps with this movie is that 
it just feels like that had to be the movie now. Like it wasn't like like it it they're two different movies, quote unquote, like two different like driving plots to an extent, but it's all part of the same whole. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I, and yeah, I, I would think for me it's just kind of like a, a matter of fact about the movie. It's just more interesting that how when you really look about because you're right. I think what's interesting is that it's peppered with things like. Like uh, like the horror movie death in 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 the in the hot spring. Yeah. Uh, there's the accident that one of the team members gets into with the rock slide and, and the robot. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's little things like that that actually more so and and in a way, um, I I get what they're doing because what they're doing is kind of like really building that tension of what the event is. Because you're right with like a movie like Twister. Excuse me. It's a bunch of different twisters. Yeah. Sorry, I just I, I had a yeah. cap, I had a um, carbonated Cap- beverage. Yeah. Um. Uh. It's a bunch of different twisters, so you can kind of get like a lot of uh steam out of that because right. then and especially at the end you build like to like the mega twister. Yeah. Whatever. There's like because then there's like twin twisters and then there's a super twister. Right. Whereas this one, it's like you're kind of building up to this big event. So it's interesting that they peppered in all these like little obstacles mm-hmm. that. Gradually, like, gradually build. But in a way, what what I did think was effective is that the actual like when the event happens, it like hits hard, which was the most kind of like confronting and unfortunately probably like real aspect of a natural disaster like that, where it, it's like you know you have some warning signs, but there's an unpredictability to to it that. Yeah, there's some warning signs, but, like, within, like, a couple hours of him finding, like, the sulfur in the water, mm-hmm. like, the then the volcano's already starting to, like, erupt. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, I thought I, I thought that aspect of, of the film, right. of the film worked. Yeah, so... And, and then the, and, and plot-wise, the work that they do in, in, with the characters is streamlined enough where I think that it works. You definitely, I, I think the biggest thing is, like, you buy... This budding relationship between Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton yes. is, is, is my yes. thing. Yeah. Yes, I think they work very well together, honestly. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, so, but then, then the explosion happens. Right, right, right. So the explosion happens, and again, they find out that the kids went to get Grandma in the car. So then Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton are like, "We have to go get the kids, so we're not us leaving town." And then they they basically like, you know, like, "Oh, the freeway bridge collapsed, so they have to like drive through the river and get stuck in the river." And then, like, oh, like, all that same volcanic ash from, like, the opening sequence kind of happens. And, like, they're going to, you know, boulders are coming down and stuff. Eventually, they do make it to the cabin, as do the kids. Um, the dog runs away. Right. Um, but the dog does survive. Right. Uh, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, they, the dog didn't do anything wrong. Uh, so, basically, they, like, hold up in... Well, you, you know why it was, is because there's so much happening in between, like, when they get yeah. up to the cabin, and they're like, there's no way we're going to be able to manage, like, the dog and the boat and everything, yeah. <laughs> so it's right. like, we're just going to have him run away for a while. Right, but it was like, it's impressive that the dog survived, though. It is, like, he got through the night. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, but, basically, they, they hold up in Grandma's house temporarily while they try to figure out, like, what their next step is. Like, can they, can they get a helicopter? No, because the helicopter crashed right in front of them. Oh, this coming up maybe my favorite like effect in the entire movie uh, is what like when they're in the cabin yeah so they they're in the cabin and it's pretty like it's one of the rare moments of like kind of like relief in the movie like they get it you're right they get up into the cabin they're packing up it's like we got to leave and then you think that there's going to be an extra beat like they all like all right you got to come down so they all come down to the first floor and you think that you're going to like have like at least one more breath before it's like all right let's go like you're gonna have that let's go moment right. as soon as they come down the steps 
the entire wall behind them just melts and overflows with flowing lava, and then they run out, and the entire house is just surrounded by lava. And I have to say, like, just personally speaking, that may be some of the best filmmaking in the movie, just in terms of like really racking up the tension, mm-hmm. just like just yeah. visually and tonally, like it, like because we were watching the movie, and that got like a. What? <laughs> like reaction out of me because there was no indication that that was going to happen. And I, I thought that was awesome. And it looked great. Yeah, too. it did. Yeah. And it was like, again, this was like, you're right. You are expecting to like SB or even if like, if there is something like another shake or something before something else happens, like kind of another warning sign. Right. But no, right. Exactly. Really just like they come down and then we got to get out now. And you know, because again, like kind of grandma's still kind of like, doesn't want to leave the cabin, you know? And it's like, but it's like, she's even like kind of admitting defeat a little bit. Like she's, She's not going easily, but like she's going. Um, so eventually, the plan is they're going to take a, a motorboat across the water because, like, you know, it's like they can't drive anywhere right now. At least get on the other side, away for a little bit more from the mountain, and and try their best. But as they start motorboating across, they see in the water that all the fish are dead, mm-hmm. and that the lake has become acidic. Right, which yeah. means that the metal boat, as Linda Hamilton said, the boat is made of metal. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Linda Hamilton. <laughs> uh, so the boat starts eroding. Um, so you know they start to try to distract themselves. Like we're gonna make it across the water. Uh, you know they start singing "Row, row, row your boat" and. I, what I appreciated was that they actually Linda Hamilton and Pierce Brosnan actually do the like uh, I forget what you call it, but like the uh, oh, it's like the 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 thing where you uh, you you sing the song kind of like a one lyric late, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. so it's like kind of the harm like that kind of late lyric harmonized, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, there's a term for it. I'm yeah, I so I, I appreciated called. they put the effort into that distraction, um, but eventually, like the motor, the motor part of the boat. The rudders eat away. Yeah, so the they, rudders yeah. eat away, so they can't use it. So first, Pierce Brosnan like takes his jacket. Yeah, this was like kind of like this was the stretch for me because a they weren't far away from the from the opposite dock that they were going to. They were getting close, but they were they're nowhere near enough or close enough for Pierce Brosnan to paddle the rest of the boat away there. Right, like it, it was just no. Like I mean, maybe. Two people paddling, maybe, but it was just like he wraps his arm up and then he like puts it in the water. I'm like, come on, right, no, right. they start kind of making a little headway, and then Grandma eventually decides I'm gonna get out of the boat and like push it to shore. Right. So she gets in the water. It's her, her big heroic sacrifice moment. Immediately starts like it's like really hard to listen to like pains of screaming. Like it's kind of like. Kind of like, well, then not only pains of screaming, but like also like they've set up that she's basically walking in acid. Yes, it's so horrific. Yeah, that I'm like, what? It's and it's this old woman. Yeah, who gets up and, and then so it, it, it's crazy, and then so she gets this whole big like like die dying scene. Right, because like, like oh, she's God. like because it's like she gets out of the water and she meets like she you know she's dead. But like the kids are like, we'll get you to the safety, Grandma. You know, Pierce Brosnan's like, yeah, we'll like, we'll get you down to the ranger station, see what we can do. Eventually, like, you know, Pierce Brosnan's carrying her, and she's just like, put me down. I'm like dying, and the kids. Oh my are- god, put me down! <laughs> can you imagine? Well, if that's all this movie needed was just like, get, get that rock over there, put me out of my misery. Right, well, she does tell because Pierce Brosnan's carrying her on her his shoulder, right? So right, she right, does yeah. say like, put me down here. And then the kids are all like, no, Grandma. And like Linda Hamilton's like, I never gave you a chance after my husband ran away. And right, it's like this yeah. whole big scene. And 
I have to be honest, I didn't really care about any of that. No, like, it really, it's really like not. They because, don't do enough on either side. They don't really make the relationship between, like, they don't really. This is one of the things where it's like the streamlining and like the not getting like the traditional tropes and deepness of like something like like a, like deeper kind of hurts because like with the with the romance stuff it kind of helps because it's just like straightforward they like each other but this one it's very much like yeah there is like they kind of like grandma and and Linda Hamilton are just kind of like they're just. It's not necessarily like angry at each other or anything. There is kind of like a little bit of a tension, but there's just not enough there to really set up like why they don't like each other. Cause like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, they don't really like, you can kind of infer that like they both kind of blame the other for it, the person, for the husband leaving, but there's never really a moment where they like, they open up about that. I don't, I don't think the movie other, like, the, the, they get into. It's funny because they do get into a little bit about what that ex husband and what the deal with that is. I don't think the movie overall uh, sells the, like that relationship with the grandmother. No, it I, I, yeah, I that's what it, I was trying to get at. It, it feel it honestly feels like there was way more of that in the movie, and then it got cut out. Yes, I could see that. Um, it also, it, I mean, it feels like it feels like two things. It feels like one, yeah, that there could have been a lot more shot for that, and then they kind of cut it for pacing. I also do feel like it is one of those things where it kind of does feel where it's like, well, we need a character to like die here. Mm -hmm. Like we need like them to like see a death while they're trying to escape to like, you know, up their emotions and up their stakes where like, it didn't really like place it naturally in the movie. Cause like Paul's death for as ridiculous as it is with the real stream, it's like kind of naturally placed and like the assholes like crashing in the helicopter. That's like, supposed to be the quote unquote fun death. Like, right. Yeah. Especially because it crashes right in front of like Pierce Brosnan. And stuff right. Like that. Right. So Which, by the way, I said this during the movie. It was really hard for me not to just assume Pierce Brosnan was going to say like a pun. Yeah. Like every time like a big thing <laughs> like happens. So I, yeah. I so this face like those two like there was like a naturalness to them in terms of the disaster trope. And this one, I think they were trying to go for that like the true like. The characters have an emotional death, which like a lot of these films have, like you know, like the Poseidon. Well, you know like what the they're Poseidon. doing. Arguably, what they're trying to do is like here's a character who doesn't really deserve to die and was very and like sacrificed themselves. So yeah. th it's that death in the movie, right? It just doesn't do enough to like put it up there. So it really does feel just like a death for the sake of a death. And the one thing I will say about it though is that this gives a lot of credence to the Russo brother Marcus and McFeely uh, uh, of Avengers Marvel fame. Uh, their thought on like you know killing certain characters um, is that this notion that sometimes that when you kill off a character, yes, the killing off of the character can be sad, but the more important thing is the context and seeing other characters like react to that like mm -hmm. how the other characters re react to that and as more time goes on I, I tend to think about that because you know I've kind of I don't know if I've ever been on record on the on the podcast but I, I'm a little bit back and forth on killing characters in movies like yeah. I, I often feel like I don't necessarily uh, disagree with you about like it feels like an obligatory death and when deaths feel obligatory like they don't do anything yeah. like other than like racking up a body count mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Um, that being said, what, what I, there was something at least in the base level of me that was 
very emotionally effective of the kids reacting to that. The, yeah, I think if anything helps that scene most, it's the kids yeah. being upset. Like, I, like I actually have to say that was pretty good acting on the kids because the way that they like it's, it's, it, it was just it, it was hard to watch. I'm like, oh, these are their kids seeing their grandmother die. This is this is sad, especially because it was like the kids who like made the play to like go save her right, too. Right. It's like they cared that much about her that like you know this, t- this 10 11 year old boy is like trying to drive a car through a volcano for her. right right um so so i i will I, I will give uh some some credit for that i do also want to say that like on top of all of this like she's dying and then we get like then when she like you know when like pierce browser puts her down for the big like actual death scene camera pans down to her like burned legs yeah. too it's just like shows you like just her her legs are just like tattered which, which i also thought was funny when 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 the son's like oh it's only like two miles like i'm like she like what like don't tell a person who literally has their legs burnt off that something's just two miles away you idiot two miles yeah. is like a long it's not not short i mean listen two miles is doable but maybe when you have like not burnt off fr- i should say freshly burnt off legs yeah. <laughs> so 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 there's that but again i go back to this movie kind of like whether it's intentional or not positions it as like man if she just listened and left the house on time she yeah. would she would have survived if, if she had been at the meeting there might have been a chance yeah. and the kids wouldn't have had to go like because it was like if she had been at the meeting uh so, and, and so, i got out of town so the, the kids wouldn't have left for her and then they could have gotten out of town easy uh so basically they leave grandma behind she's dead she's gonna be like become one with the mountain because it'll, she'll be burned up and uh, they eventually make it to this ranger station. A hot wire, Brosnan hot wires a ranger car, and that's like their their cue to escape. So they eventually they have to. So then, when the next scene is that the next major point is like they have to drive through like lava, uh, or like like a part of the road. That's yeah, like, like molten rock. Yeah, like molten rock. And it's funny because it's like they do. It's all the same tropes. Like you know, it's like. They they like, can we get through it? I don't know, but we're gonna have to. And they start driving, and the like the tires immediately start melting, right. and like the cars. Like, yeah, at this point they get to the the period where they're kind of like adding obstacles yeah. after obstacles. So it's and, but it's also it's just kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, of course the car gets stuck again, like it did in the river. So like they they have to like you know jostle it free. And then they just keep driving in the car after they get through the lava, and I'm like, they really like they really kept their shots on the tires a little bit too long for me to believe that they could just continue driving. Right, in the right, yeah, that 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 was a bit of a stretch. Um, and then they get into they, they realize like they can't get out of the town, so they get back to the town, and everybody all the bridges are gone. Everybody's and, been evacuated, yeah. but the bridges are gone, and. The, the, you know, it's kind of like a haunting little scene because you, you see this the, the the town which was so lively earlier in the movie like it is like the yeah second i have to most, say that that was that was a pretty good scene i, uh, I did like it that. was the second most desirable city to live in with a population under 200 uh yeah um but then it's like it's all in ash and all evacuated and like linda hamilton's just like look at this town like it's gone like that like you know because she's like she's lived there her whole life and then the the, the, the thing like the the other rest of the science crew is basically kind of saying like 
Oh, like the bit, you know, and Pierce Brosnan's like, the big explosion hasn't even happened yet. Oh, this is all- if I remember correctly, the scene, it was like, man, that was a big explosion. And then, like, the the one of the science members is like, please, that was just, he's like, that was just the clearing the throat. She hasn't even begun to sing yet. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, lines like that is what make movies like this worth it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but basically, like, they get to the town, there's kind of a quiet moment of just, like, what like what are we going to do? We got to figure this out. Like, and it's kind of a reflection on the town just being destroyed. And then the big one, the big, as Prius Brosnan has to say, pyroclastic cloud mm-hmm. starts coming down. Which is a thing. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I said, like, the science in this movie is mostly accurate. Which, by the way, you cannot survive a pyroclastic cloud. Like, no. you can't. Because for those of you who don't know, uh, because I was very fascinated by this, like, when I learned about it in school. But it, it, it's basically a mass of just um, ash and really, really hot bits of rock yeah uh and it's like you will like yeah it's it's unsurvivable so basically this is the point in the movie where this is the real true big disaster destruction we're showing every scene also this is also the scene where every plant gets paid off like when you think about it. yeah because like they oh right yeah because they there was like a device on the robot that they were using to monitor from the, NASA yeah from NASA that I don't think they really explain what it is it's, up until the end right it's kind of like yeah it's essentially like a thing from NASA they were testing but it's essentially like a tracking device yeah it, it's a, it's like a GPS tracking device uh, and at the, one and, point and uh, the, yeah the guy who like built the robot like angrily takes it off it's like that's why the robot's not working because of the stupid NASA thing so they go to pick that up earlier in the movie. Um, uh, the the son who's a little bit of a troublemaker kept on hanging out in the town's mine like the old mine yeah so it's like oh where are we gonna go they go to the town mine and it's like, this is the also this is like classic especially like nineties disaster movie classic where it's Pierce, they're outrunning a cloud they're basically like the the whole tension of the scene is like they have to outrun right. the pyroclastic it's cloud. so absurd like yeah. I mean that notion of like you having to outrun like something like like nature like that yeah. is so weird. I gotta say, it it kind of always works. Yeah. For me, like it's so dumb, but like you're like, oh man, and the elements like 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 escaping a cloud. It really is like it's one of those things where it's just like in a movie like this, especially even with this movie where it's like you know they they tried to keep it a little bit more on the scientific accurate side and a lot of the stuff because they also when they're doing the science stuff they do a lot of explaining of like you know all like it's gonna track this thing yeah. and it's like they do they basically give you all the information on what like you know, these actual scientists do for these stuff. But, you know, when you get to that point, like the climax and they're like running from this thing, this is just like a thing where it's like in a movie like this, you just kind of have to go with it. You Mm -hmm. just have to be like, they're okay. They're running away from the cloud now. And you know, it's kind of this big dramatic scene. And it's also because the other thing about it, especially within this movie is that as they're driving away from it, you see the clouds hit the town and it essentially looks like, like a nuclear explosion hit yeah. where like all the buildings like immediately disintegrate. This was the thing where I it's like every building that they shot exploded. They just showed everyone. Yeah. Right. This is the scene where it's like, if this was part of the universal, yes. uh, like, like uh, the, the backlot tour at universal studios, Hollywood, like this would be the part like, and now they're shooting the climactic scene from Dante's peak. And then you see all the buildings kind of explode. But eventually, yeah, Pierce Brosnan basically rams the car straight into the mine. Right. And it basically, like, keeps them underground and essentially protects them. And then this is when the movie becomes 10 to 15 minutes too long. (laughs) 
I mean, like, because basically they're in there, they're stuck, and then Pierce Brosnan and has they go, to. They go to the kid. Cl- you know, they 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 get out of the car and they go to the kid's clubhouse. So there's like a little bit of a rest. Yeah. And then Brosnan's like, "Oh my god, I forgot the GPS signal in the car." Yeah. So he goes back into the car, but then it causes like uh, like a little bit of a cave in, so that he's stuck in the car. And then he activates the machine. I got to be honest, this is like the weakest part of the movie yeah. for me. Like, because I was like really jazzed about them escaping. And then they're like, all you got to do is get through the mine and like get through the mine. You can just see, like, and I was ready for them to get through the mine. And then it's like, oh, like, and then they're safe. And maybe there's a little bit, did they make it? And then they come out and then the movie's over. Like, I yeah. mean, there's really. So this whole thing with they're stuck in the mine. And then finally, like, they, they say it's like two days later. Yeah. And then, like, the friends finally realize that, and then they rescue them, and they kind of play, like, they got Pierce Brosnan, but did the rest of the, like, you know the rest of the family yeah. made it. Um, it, it. This, it was just, and there was nothing technically go, wrong with it. That, it was just at this point the momentum of the movie yeah. was thrown off. The thing, the thing you talk about sometimes with, like, that you point out with, like, older movies, like, especially, like, 50s films, where it's, like, they just end. Yes. And I feel like if there was anything, like, you could still probably do that. I just don't know if you needed the like he goes because he also he goes to the kids' clubhouse and he realizes it and then he's like, "I promise you, we're gonna go fishing in Florida and like you know I'm gonna be your new dad and all that sort of stuff." Like not you know it's like basically complaining like I'm gonna be your new dad, and um, I feels like what you really could have done is you could have just simplified it where it's just like they make it out, they're all kind of like assessed, you know, they have barely amount of food. And there's kind of the drama of well, we have the signal now. They're gonna see it, and right? Then, you know, right. You just, you, if you just kind yeah, of- it, it it was just like I was kind of like because at that point, like you just know what's going. Like it, it just seemed like an extra threat that it it, it just felt unnecessary. Yeah, uh, but eventually, yeah, the, the 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 science team comes out and they're like recovering all their equipment in the town, and then the one guy realizes like. He like he sees like the GPS light flashing on their end. It's like, oh, you son of a bitch! Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. sort that sort of thing. James Bond, you son of a bitch! They get him out, and then Linda Hamilton and Pierce Brosnan have their big kiss, and right, it like right. kind of pans over the town, and it's and then it's that like it has like the same like crater type look as Mount St Helens did. Right. Um. So that so. Yeah, ultimately, ultimately a, a pretty solid ride. But I think the biggest thing, as we kind of like get to that, because there's really not too much else to say about the movie other than the movie itself. Yeah, uh, I mean, like our ultimate thoughts of the movie. But I think the ultimate thing that we do need to get at is Pierce Brosnan in the movie, which is yes. the reason we're talking about this. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and it was very interesting, and it did remind me about why we do episodes like this, is because it's not a James Bond character at all. And this was made during like the time period of him being James yes. Bond. Yes, I mean this was yeah, this was like the first movie that came out after Goldeneye. So this would be like the first like new film of like this new kind of star, right? And it, it is interesting because like there there's really in a way like I can't say that there's anything like truly like overly remarkable about the performance other than you know just like just some likability like you know there there's just like something like he he just has a screen presence which is why i think i i do enjoy him as bond yeah like he just fits so naturally uh in a in like in ever in in a scene i felt pierce brosnan's biggest strength is his just natural charm and i think it's one of those things where with brosnan it's kind of interesting because 
it's really when I really imagine like any Brosnan role that I know, it's really not too far off kind of a traditional Brosnan performance. It's like he kind of he he's always seems calm even when he's heated. He's never like really like he's like kind of has this a calmness and a suaveness in everything that he does. And it's not like that it's like a monotone performance, but it it always seems like he just has kind of, you know, just the natural charm just gets him through everything. Sure. Um, and, like, I definitely think, like, not to say that he never gets a chance to, like, emote. Right. Uh, like, you know, in this movie, he gets a little bit, like, I think uh, GoldenEye World is not enough. He definitely gets that chance as well. But there's always something about Brosnan where it's like, because, again, like, one of the things I was, like, reason, going back again, I didn't want to do the Traumas Crown Affair was, like, oh, I'm sure that's going to be too similar to Bond because it's, like, the con man and, like, he's being suave and being charming and he's got, like, the boats and stuff like that in that right. movie. And I felt like, like, what was interesting was, like, kind of seeing him take on this kind of scientist, you know, you know, warning everybody role, but still kind of keeping that same Brosnan demeanor that I kind of, well, I kind of know. So you, well. you know what it was for me? It was interesting that other than those moments, because Brosnan, I actually think, if I really think of the movies, I think Brosnan is the best. I have to think about this, but just bear with me. I think Brosnan may be the best quipper of the Bonds. Mm-hmm. So th- that was really the only thing that was left over from his Bond is that there were those moments in this movie where I was kind of like. Uh, he's going to say something, but then I'm like, oh, this isn't Bond. But other than that, I didn't see him do a Bondish thing elsewhere. Whereas, like, sometimes I feel like with Dalton, because Dalton is a performer yeah. and, you know, hams it up a little bit, which I love. But there is a sense that ever since I've gone back and, like, realized that he plays James Bond, there is always, like, a Bond quality to most of his performances. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I think that most, most of the ones I think you probably, like, Yeah, and, and I think that, and honestly, I think that's probably because out of all of them, I think Dalton may be the one who even, like, leans into the fact that he was Bond even in, like, parodies and stuff. Yeah, and, like, yeah. Like um like I like up in my in my YouTube feed, uh, Looney Tunes back in action like uh like popped up, popped up and I was like oh yeah Dalton like he played like uh, the spy in, yeah. in that movie too, yeah. so there's a little bit of that and I think it, it's a testament retroactively to Brosnan's Bond that there really isn't anything like over the top or exaggerated about his Bond that bleeds over into his other things because I'm even thinking of other things where he plays like an action hero like. It's not quite Bond, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was kind of like the biggest thing that stood out to me about but it. But I, th- I think he definitely like falls into this role well, and I think we've said a number of times. I think he's still, I think he's good at like the flirting and the romance stuff. Like generally speaking, I think that's what made it stood out to me is like the fact that his, the way he, his ro- his his romance and in into in intimate scenes, whether it be with the kids or whether it be with Linda Hamilton was so far removed from how it's done right. in the Bond films. Yeah, it's like it's definitely not as sexualized in those movies, but I do feel that like you definitely get that relationship working and it always takes two to tango and I think that Brosnan cuz even in general like in terms of his Bond women like yeah, he's definitely a little more aggressive you know in those in the Bond films cuz it's Bond. But when you look at like the three like uh, you know, it's like I think like he he does good stuff with you know the 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 Golden Eye Girls with uh, you know Michelle Yao. I think he's fine with 
and Electra. Not so much Christmas Jones and you know uh, 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 Jinx. Uh, yeah, but, but you know I think it kind of works out enough for those yeah. films. Yeah. But I do think that's like I think Brosnan is a person and an actor that works well with other actors. I mm. think he. I think whenever, even if there is kind of a same kind of Brosnan demeanor, at least to what I see, he always like bounces off other characters very well. Um, and I think it, especially when you're in the, the, when you're with the family in this movie, like I kind of go back to like when they're first driving up the mountain and he, you know, he's talking about being a volcanologist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, he he starts talking about like the rock she has, what kind of rock it is, and like you know it's like he's he's good with the kids, and then it kind of leads into like their fun little times together. But also at the same time, what I will say though is because since this is like kind of after Bond and it's, it's a little bit far removed, I do think because I can't really point out anything else like pretty notable about it because to a same degree. This could have been played by like Sam Neill. Yeah, you know what I it, mean. It really like, isn't a. I mean, Brosnan, I think fits into it well, but it also isn't a role that he needed to play. Like, it really could have been any number of like, like, not necessarily action stars, but like kind of slightly older, you know, more mature actors could have played this role. Well, honestly, like it, it reminds me a little bit of like something like Sam Neill in Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. where Sam Neill, like one of the underrated things about that performance is like he balances that I don't like, I kind of hate kids and I'm like, and I'm kind of like get annoyed with people really easily, but I'm also a super likable, morally centered guy. Yeah. Like, 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 like Sam Neill is able to kind of like balance that. And to a degree where it's very engaging, where I don't think Brosnan quite has it to that level right. yet. But it's still good, and I think like maybe it's the comparison to Bond because you know the fact that there's he always plays Bond with like a smirk, like a hidden smirk, yeah, and everything about his character here is sincere, yes, and he's still as charming and likable, yeah, and I think that's like the biggest like uh the, the yeah. positive about him, yeah, and I just think like he's he is just a fun actor to watch, I think, and I, I just think because of that natural charm, it's just that you're kind of naturally engaged yeah. with 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 what's going on. Now, here's a question. You remember Sam Neill was almost Bond. So, if we if we had to do like if in alternate universe where we are talking about Sam Neill on this podcast, like do we go with the obvious of Jurassic Park or do we like look into Event Horizon or something Wait, like that? Wait, what do you mean? Like like let's say in an alternate reality where like Sam Oh, Neill, oh, you mean like we have to do like like, what? like Sam Neill played Bond in the Living Daylight. So like in this alternate universe podcast instead of a Dalton episode we had to do a Sam Neill episode. That's a that's a real good one because like I feel like you wouldn't do Jurassic Park only because like that's like not not to no but not to be uh, but but Jurassic Park does have the dinosaur special effects thing that would be at home with our Godzilla crossover yes, type that's thing. True. At the same time, Event Horizon gives you a crazy Sam Neill. Yeah. Like And like know. a different genre to play with. Right. So. so yeah, that that would be that would be a tough one. Yeah, to, I just I just no, I was just like yeah, I was like when you mentioned Sam Neill, I was like, yeah, he almost played Mon. Right. It right. was close. Um I gotta say too, I mean, any any other thoughts on Brosnan? No. No. Okay. Um It was it was weird, but I kinda had fun seeing like just regular Linda Hamilton in the movie. Yeah. Cause it's like, cause I'm so used to her being like the, you know, the scream queen type in the first Terminator. 
and then the super badass in the rest of the Terminators. Right. Like, it was just kind of weird, but kind of neat to be like, oh, it's just kind of like regular old Linda Hamilton in a movie. Yeah, that 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 is true. Um, and she owns a coffee shop. But again, here's like kind of like the, the, the gift and the curse about like this era of disaster movies where I do feel like it, it really could have been, it yeah. could have been Helen Hunt. Like, you Easily. know what I mean? No, yeah, it, 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 it could have been any number of like, yeah. same type. But it, it's just, it, I think it, it was a benefit that it was both of them, but also it could have been any other two. It yeah, really could have. I agree. Uh, Sorry, go two ahead. Two last thoughts. Yeah. That one guy really liked coffee. Like that was the one. Bit. Oh, he was so happy that he was gonna get coffee. And like, yeah. and then like he was the one where he's like, you know, he's like the coffee expert. It's like I think I'm gonna like this town. And of course, well, we can't forget that Pierce Brosnan does not like dating girls who are into crystals. Oh right, right, yeah. Because there's like a fun little banter when they're on the mountain before like the big accident where they're talking about like. You know, they're like, the the, 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 the scientist, like, the guy who built the robot is like, ah, oh, so you're like, you're getting in with the mayor, huh? Like, Right, know? yeah. And then, know. and then like, Pierce Brosnan's like, well, you know, it's like making jokes. It's like, well, she, you know, if anything, she's better than, like, all the people you set me up with. And it's like, what about that one girl? Like, oh, you know, like, she was in the rocks. I thought you were similar. And then Pierce Brosnan's like, crystals. She was into <laughs> crystals, not rocks. <laughs> And that was a fun. That was a fun. And gag. it is funny because that would that would be such a geology thing too. Yeah, like the politics of like what geology you like. Yeah, like it would be such. That. Well, I, I I think the implication was that she was like a like a hippie. Yeah, like, yeah, that she was yeah. kind of like oh like I like homeopathic medicine or whatever. Yeah. Um, the real question is, and this is kind of a weird question because I was gonna say who Harrison Ford is in this movie. But Harrison Ford would go on to be in a volcano movie, right? Is that Harrison Ford in the in Volcano? Not Harrison Ford. That's Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, so that's sorry, yeah, sorry, I, I messed it up. So who is Harrison Ford? Who in is this Harrison movie? Ford in this movie? Oh, he he is he is the mayor of the first most desirable yeah. town to live in yes. with, a, with a population under two thousand. And he like lo- he like lords. He's like lording over it, and then he finds out that yeah. the town got just got destroyed, and he feels like really bad. He's about the, it. that's the post credit scene is that yeah. he looks at the town. He's like still number one. Yeah. Um. So that's good, but that does actually uh that faux pas of mine does transition into a question I did have, where is what is the legacy of this movie like? Because I really don't know what the back and forth on because the thing about when you look at something like deep impact and armageddon like armageddon i don't know if there's like a definitive this one is better but armageddon has that this is the ridiculous one Mm -hmm. and one is like more of like the disaster movie one um yes uh white house down and uh Olympus, Olympus has fallen. fallen kind of has that thing where I think a lot of people are like actually Olympus has fallen is like the better one. That was the thing like that, that movie like a lot of people were like surprised when they watched both is like oh like Olympus has fallen like the like, Gerard Butler action movie is better than the like the the Channing Tatum Jamie Fox it's funny sometimes yes. movie like you right. know like so yeah. um so there's that but I don't know what like the what what like the the legacy of this one is. So it is one of those things where it's not too, I mean, in terms of success, I'll just say that, um, the release, uh, so Dante's peak came out first in February of 1997. Um, and it, it debuted at number two at the box office, uh, behind 
the special edition Star Wars re-release. Oh, interesting. Um, but it took in $18 million and eventually grossed uh, $67 million in the United States and $178 million worldwide. Uh, it's um, coming out first definitely helped it win at the box office because um, Volcano comes out April 25th of that year and eventually you know gets a 102 $22 million worldwide so it definitely you know if people felt that you know dante's be coming out first just you know people weren't going to see the two right in a row in terms of reception this is where it gets kind of interesting because generally speaking it's not that dissimilar to uh armageddon versus deep impact in the sense that both movies aren't generally well reviewed but volcano is noted as being the kind of more ridiculous, over the top, right, in a sense, right. kind of elements of so bad it's good, or or, or self awareness in that sense that people kind of latch onto. Well, the, the the conceit of it is more ridiculous. Yes, like you know, it's, it's more ridiculous and it's got more over the top characters because Don Cheadle is like in it and he's kind of like he's kind of like you know playing off of Tommy Lee Jones mm. and. There's, it's kind of, you know, it's like, again, a volcano underneath LA and like none of the science makes sense type of thing. Right. So it kind of has that where people like kind of took to that more as like, is it more enjoyable? Whereas Dante's Peak kind of got the credit for being a more, you know, taking mostly realistic approach to it. And like the effects were very well regarded. Um, but, uh, it generally was kind of like less memorable because, yeah, it wasn't as over the top. Honestly, when you compare them in that way, it's very understandable, especially yeah. given like the 50-50 nature of the movie. Uh, but I will say that that Dante's Peak does have a cult following of, specifically among disaster film aficionados uh, for its kind of realistic, um, uh, yeah, more realistic kind of approach to it and like the, the facts. The fact, um, many people expected the, the effects to be nominated that year uh for best effects at the oscars but uh it was essentially like the almost there one mm. like everybody was because it was uh the ones that were nominated that year were the eventual winner titanic which was going to win no matter what um jurassic park three uh or two which one came out that year i mean if this was what 97, 97. that would have been two yeah, yeah. jurassic mm. park yeah the lost world jurassic park yeah. and starship starship troopers right were the top were the three because remember that was that was when there was only three noms in a year so basically but it was kind of one of those things where people were expecting you know this has a good shot to be nommed for the oscar for effects yeah. um but like dante's peak has definitely had sort of a, a little bit like of a tiny revival mm -hmm. um among especially like again the disaster film aficionados but it has kind of come up a little bit more often in recent years especially for its effects work that is kind of what people mostly take from it as it should, because the work on that is is very impressive. So, yeah. Um. All right. Cool. Uh, is there anything else to say about it? Not about Dante's Peak. I think that was. Uh, I I had a good time with it. Yeah. No. I I definitely did. I I, I thought it was. Uh, very very enjoyable to watch. Um. You know. You, you know. Sometimes. This is this is something you know. I'll say, especially you know, given the world that you know we we live in right now. Um, which is, that's where I'll keep that. Um, but I did find just a lot of joy and just like, you know, it, it, it does feel good just to sit down and watch a movie, especially like a movie that you, you, you haven't seen. Like, you know, just to kind of like, if you are an avid movie watcher, just like the simple joy of just watching comfort food 
like like yeah. like that. Um, so th- th- there was a there was a level of just that that I enjoyed. But then at the same time, as a movie, um, I did because it kind of tickled. Like you know, I didn't grow up on movies mm-hmm. like this, but I definitely saw a lot of movies like this as a kid. Yeah, like I saw like a lot of like movies like Twister and like those like types of disaster movies. And frankly, like the disaster movie, like kind of has a like a like a soft spot in my heart like even like the more recent uh ones like like even the more ridiculous ones like like i'll even enjoy like as much as i poke fun of it as as a san andreas and given that i'm current day me like of course i'm gonna have like a big soft spot in my heart for something like a like a geostorm or something like that but these old school like universal things where it does remind you of like that would be on the set of a universal tour and these are all the pyrotechnics and everything um was definitely a treat it was one of those things where like i know i have like you know in in my dreams like i have a lot of like podcasts about like series of movies or franchises or stuff like that just going through them because this has been so fascinating it would be very interesting to just do like you know just pick like a handful of like the classic disaster movies and like watch them and just kind of see oh we would have to develop the mount rushmore of disaster movies it would have to be like i think you would have to do like some like one of the early ones like you'd have to do like the like the early like san francisco like something like that then you'd have to definitely do like the main 70s ones like towering inferno poseidon adventure the first airport movie uh, See, the issue would be for me is how you would define because technically Independence Day falls into these categories, it, but but for some reason, like once you once you bring in a more tangible threat that's like the, aliens, that's it becomes thing. a different. That's what beast. I. That's why I said earlier that like stuff like you know War of the Worlds and like Godzilla or like more tangents of the genre where they definitely share elements, right. but not necessarily like a part of it. Where it's like. Um, you know, there's early success ones, but like Twister and Armageddon and stuff like that. Like, I would love to kind of go through those and just see how the, the genre evolves. Um, but other than that, I think that's it for this episode. Cool, cool. Um, so uh, that would that that's it uh, for this one. Uh, and then, do do we know what we're doing for Bond uh, next time we do a yes. Bond episode? So this was one uh, an episode that actually, like I would say at the beginning of the podcast, I did not think I want to do this episode, um, but then actually goes back to last month when we were talking about Kingsman when I was doing some of the research on sort of the inspirations from it this movie and being is it being a direct response to uh, Kingsman in many ways Matthew Vaughn said was a direct response not just to the Casino Royale but the effect that this movie had on the action genre my god will that's Jason Bourne. Oh, oh. We're gonna be not. Oh, look, we're, okay. We're not gonna be looking at the last Jason Bourne movie. We're gonna be looking at the very first one. The Bourne Identity. The Bourne Identity. I'm looking, I, ladies and gentlemen, and view and viewers and listeners. I this is I did not know this. This is news to me, and I gotta say I'm 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 excited because, uh, not that you know. It, it's a movie that I, I I would like to revisit, yeah. especially now. Uh, uh, but that. it's very much like again, it's just like Vaughn said it was the direct relation to Casino Royale and Casino and and the Born Identity and what the Born movies did to action and you know because Born Identity is one of those movies that's always brought up with Casino Royale. Yeah. So uh, and like the new Bond direction, so I thought it would be very interesting to look at it. Well, until then, folks, I hope you guys like anime because all month. The rest of this month is going to be all anime when as we get into the Godzilla realm of things. And we are going to be finally talking, as 
hinted at since uh, many episodes before this, the Godzilla anime trilogy. Um, and I and I think I've decided the way that we're going we're going to do it okay. uh, because we are we plan we're planning on having a deep dive for Bond the, the, this month. I would I think so. Yeah. Um, like, do you not want me to? Like, no, 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 no. I was just like I, I was just saying because the way that I was uh, that that I kind of was thinking that we do it was our first episode we will combine because I've seen them so yes. I was just kind of thinking what's the best way I would combine the first two. Uh, anime, anime, film, specials, what have you, uh, for our the one episode, and then we'll do the final uh, anime or part three as the end of, for the end of the month. Um, just knowing the story that seems to be the most uh, uh, conducive, and I think like the most like rewarding. I, I think just kind of like knowing where the story goes. Um, so. Uh, I hope you're prepared. Everybody's prepared for that. Um, all of them are available on Netflix, so you can get ready uh, for our commentary on them and if exa- you want to watch like, them before. Hey, we know this has been our most requested yes. like review, so yeah. we're definitely, I'm definitely eager to see these. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, uh, until next time, uh, we're done. I'm done, you're done, so plug away. We have uh, Twitter.com slash Bonzilla007, Facebook.com slash Bonzilla007. Uh, G- uh, our Gmail is uh, bonzillapod at gmail.com and you can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud like and subscribe we have gotten some uh, a new review or two recently so we are very thankful for, for all your reviews alright well um, bye everybody we love you <laughs>